a hero's journey, outward adventure lies on a quest the poets will sing about. With destiny at your shoulder, an ego of massive size, and a face most chicks have a thing about. And so what if you're still hungover? Right. So what if you smell like slop? Yeah. So what if you've got that pesky little muffin top? Well, no, help you're me. off on a hero's journey, a champion through and through, more or less, Hello and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host from TV.com, Mr. Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going? It's going all right. How are you today? I am tired and the reason I am tired is that I was up late and then up early finalizing categories for this year's Morgasborgy because there's like a million categories and you like a responsible person like thought about it over time and like did all your homework and I kept, it was like, I got I can do that like a couple days and so it was just lots of you know racking my brain these la- you know in the last 24 well it was really important for me to make a really good impression on you as my new partner <laughs> so it, I, I I wanted to make sure I was I was prepared so next year uh-huh. I will have nothing by then I'll just have let myself go as a partner. I figured so. you were just like, you know, just be like, let's make, we got to make sure that I look really good. Make Kate look really bad for the listeners. Yeah, be a fun I want way them to, to like me. Exactly, right? I want right? them to like me. It's gonna they be... already like you. <laughs> well, let's see. Fingers crossed. Hopefully, if they wouldn't still be listening, I, I suppose. I wouldn't yeah. have scared them all away. But, um, yes, this, this listeners, for those who are new to the podcast or recent to the podcast and did not listen last year, uh, this is our best of everything else. So last week we had our top 20 TV shows of the year, which was so much fun to talk about and really dive into what we thought was the best uh, overall TV of 2015. Um, now we have everything else. And so we're not doing a top five listeners. We're not doing even necessarily a top three. We've got a bajillion categories. We're going to say the things that came to mind for us. Yeah, pretty much. Um, well, things that came to mind and then the things that I thought about and stewed over for a while and then went, oh, but what about that thing? And then it was shiny and new and you went with that one, right? Yes. And then I left it alone for two days and then went, oh, but that other thing was so much better than that one thing I already wrote down. Yeah. So I changed it again. And it's, <laughs> listeners, as you know, it's hashtag PTV. So we definitely forgot some awesome stuff that happened this year. Oh, God, yes. And so we definitely want you to email us uh, with your picks for all of these because I cannot wait to see, like, I want to see GIFs. I want to see YouTube links. I want to hear remixes of songs that were on TV this year that we forgot existed because there was so much awesome original music this year. It's like we can't Mm -hmm. possibly include it all. I'm going to try. You'll hear it coming up between the segments. I'm going to try. But we can't possibly include it all um but rather than talk about what we're going to talk about i think we need to just dive in yes sure yes let's do it our first group of awards are the performance awards these are the more traditional awards so we're just going to get them out of the way at the top here so let's start out with lead performance male comedic or dramatic or or anything what came to mind for you Noel? um I already, like, I picked one guy and then went, yeah, but I've talked about him a lot, so I'm going to do someone else. And so I was just like, Johnny Lee Miller has done terrific work in elementary consistently, but 
season three and into season four, he has just been really, really great. I've said repeatedly that if this were like 25 years ago, he would be racking up Emmys left and right for elementary because the performance is that nuanced and that compelling. Um, but now because of peak TV and because of cable bias, he gets no love. And so Johnny Lee Miller, best, best lead performance for a male. And I'm giving it, again, a lot of these picks, listeners, uh, as in the more traditional categories, are going to be kind of boring for me because you will have heard me already talk about them. So I'm going to not spend too much time on them. For, for me, for lead performance male, I'm giving this one uh, to Aiden Young on Rectify. Love it. Amazing, amazing performance. So much, so much goodness happening there. Uh, there's a lot of other people that we could talk about, but we probably already have in previous podcasts. And we I've already did last talked week. about Hugh Dancy a ton. Yeah. I don't need to talk about Hugh Dancy. I don't need anymore. to talk about more, more about Mass Mickelson. I, I yeah, could. No. We both could, but we, we don't, could. Yeah. We, don't we don't need, need to. to. There's, you know, like Matthew Reese and the Americans don't need it. John Hamm on, uh, on Mad Men don't need it. You know, there's a lot of really great performances out there. We've, we've given our, our two picks for that. Let's move to lead performance female. This was a difficult one for me because like five or six people immediately came to mind. And yeah. I'm going to have a hard time here. So who did you pick? Well, uh, I, I picked Taraji P. Henson, Gina Rodriguez, Constance Wu, Ellie Kemper, and Aya Cash. <laughs> Ellie Kemper was on mine for my short list. Yeah. I just I, I think she's doing really amazing work there, especially revisiting it. There's so much more darkness and drama underneath her comedic performance, but it still works on that level as well. Yeah. So yeah, who'd you go with? Uh, Constance Wu um, from Fresh Off the Boat. Everything that woman does is gold, so there's no reason to not pay attention to her. With she gives great reaction face too. Like acting is reacting, and she's a terrific reactor. Okay, who'd you go for for um, supporting performance male? Goggins. I mean, I, I know we already said Mickelson. We can't talk about Mickelson anymore. But I mean, we also really can't talk about how great Walton Goggins has been consistently. And he was still really, really great this year. Um, for me, I went with just a small one that popped into my mind. And I was like, yeah, that was really very fun. I don't know if it counts as supporting. I don't know if it counts as guest. But I'm going. I'm giving some love to Josh Charles for uh, Wet Hot American Summer as the boyfriend across the lake who was hilarious. I heard. Yeah. I, 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 um, Wet Hot American Summer is not my thing at all. <laughs> and despite the fact that everyone I knew knows I love Josh Charles, and I watched it for him, like, a little bit of the show for him, and I just went, oh, what if the entire show was just him and his multiple popped collars? <laughs> I would be all about that. Who'd you yeah. go for for uh, supporting performance female? Uh, Eden Shear from the middle, uh, Sue Heck. Uh, just fantastic, really... Broad, it's a broad performance that's still really, really funny and really thought thought out. And so, and she's always been really great. So that's who I went with. I'm going with Megan Stevenson from Review. Uh, AJ Gibbs, such a fantastic supporting performance. I feel like a lot of love gets given to Andy Daly for the fantastic work he does over there. Not enough love for Megan Stevenson. So uh, Megan Stevenson, five stars. <laughs> Who did you pick for most acting in a role? Uh, I mean, this it's an easy pick, and maybe it's a lazy pick, but I still feel like this is the Eva Green memorial list. How do you pick anyone besides Eva Green? I did pick someone other than Eva well, Green. Well, who did you pick? I picked Paul Blackthorne from Arrow. Oh, he's doing a lot of chewing, isn't he? he well, it's not only chewing, but I feel like he goes, he plays way to the back of, back of the row, back row, but in really compelling and interesting ways that 
I don't feel like her chewing in like the way Wentworth Miller chews scenery on The Flash. I think it's something different, and I've I've always really liked it, but he had a lot of really good stuff this year. Fair enough. Who'd you go with for least acting? Uh, I this isn't a reflection of his skill, but rather how he portrayed things, and it's Mark Rylance for Wolf Hall, because he did so little with a lot as Cromwell. We have our first mind meld, because I don't know. Yes! And, and for me, we talked about this last week, it was a little... Yeah. For me, it was that was a little bit of a barrier, so for me, it's like slightly a criticism, but it's also yeah. a, you know, a statement on how much I respect that performance and how much she's doing while making it seem like there's there's nothing, but there's so, you know. So, yeah, yeah it, it's one of the least actory kind of subdued. Yes. Usually when you have that kind of a subdued performance, you can see them acting subdued, and yeah. you can't at all for Mark Rylance. No. It's a great, yeah, that's why we both have it. Okay, yes. next, next category we have is uh, voice acting. Who'd you, who'd you come up with? Um, based on what we discussed last week, uh, should be no surprise, I picked um, D.D. Magno as Pearl on Steven Universe. Another mind melt? Another mind melt. So did yes. I. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, fantastic work. I mean, just voice cracks, singing, everything. It was just really, really great. For, she did really great work this year. Really, really great work this year. And I'm also giving a shout out to Will Arnett and Paul F. Tompkins on BoJack Horseman, who did fantastic voice work as well. But no, my number my number one is like, well, I got to give some love to Pearl. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. Who? Who Did you have anybody for reality personality? Not really. I mean, I could tell you how badly I'm in love with Padma on Top Chef, but I mean, we don't need to hear that. So who did you pick? For... I have a few picks. I have some pros. Okay. And for this category, of course, of course, gentle listeners, we have the option of providing a worst for any of these picks. And, but but yeah. for the most part, we don't. there's too much good TV to bother spending yeah. time on the bad TV. Uh, however, I will spend some quality time on worst reality personality, and that's Mr. Nigel Lithgow on So You Think You Can Dance. <laughs> Fuck you very much, sir. Um, but instead, uh, I, I th- th- that's you can go back and listen to my spotlight of shame on him specifically uh, from mm-hmm. earlier in this season of So You Think You Can Dance. It's on. It's in the Televerse archives, which will hopefully be up at the new site soon. Um, but. I, I want to give some love to Nadia, the uh, one of the contestants from The Great British Bake Off this season, and uh, also to Caitlyn Jenner, who feels, you know, I guess she's a celebrity. I don't, I don't know if it's, she's a reality personality, but, I mean, she's certainly something. Uh, and I Am Kate was a really great surprise for me this year. Uh, that was, you know, I watched it because, you know, guest co-host Caroline Sita had recommended it to me, and I was really, really glad that I did tune in for it. And that was a fascinating show, and... Uh, so actually, so so reality personality, best reality personality, um, a lot of love for Caitlyn uh, Jenner, but also just that whole group of trans women who are featured in that show who are just absolutely fascinating to get to know this year. Um, how about best use? Oh, no, sorry, I skipped. How about most novel casting? Um, Tom Cavanaugh on Flash, because um, he's been Ed permanently in my brain for years. And then he was the guy who was in all those Hallmark Christmas movies. And then he's a bad guy, and then he's maybe not a bad guy. And so it was just one of those things. And he does really great work on The Flash, but I mean, it was just, I would have never thought to cast Tom Cavanaugh in that kind of a role. So Yeah, perennial good guy as the, the yeah. creepy villain dude, absolutely. Um, I went with Silicon Valley uh, and their use of re- actual Silicon Valley um, 
celebrities for the funeral that we started off this season with, which was hilarious and a lot of fun and a really great way to acknowledge the the death of actor Christopher Evan Welch last year uh, and, and the character specifically on the show that he was playing while still managing to keep a really sad reality of their production a really fun and entertaining scene to to walk that line they did a fantastic job with it so well done tip the cat for the people they brought in for that uh the real life figures they brought in but also um how they used them and when they used uh fictional characters and when they used real people uh well done silicon valley um next up is best use of ensemble um i went with the i kind of cheated and took the Arrow and Flash crossover this season. I was going to say, I fully support as that. A, <laughs> as a merged ensemble, because, I mean, they're in the same universe, but when you put them together, it's just fireworks. I mean, both casts are really good with each other as shows, but when you put them together, especially in that second part in the Arrow episode where they're coming into the house and they're just playing off each other, it's really, really good, and it made me wish that that was the cast that I had for Legends of Tomorrow, was just them hanging out and talking in a cabin in Central City. Fair enough. Uh, I went with uh, two. Uh, first of all, iZombie, because okay. I, I'm not actually huge on iZombie, like we talked yeah, about Yeah, I week. know. This is why I'm surprised. <laughs> but the part of iZombie I am most interested in is their ensemble. And the way that they use their ensemble, which is much better than a lot of shows in this mold, frankly. The sure. stuff that they come up with for Major, the stuff that they come up with for Ravi and and Peyton and just all the people in Liv's life. Uh, I, I really love the way that they use them and, and that they give them so much to do. That's more maybe for the writing than the acting. But again, the fact that they make such good use of their ensemble, I thought was worthy of special mention. Also, some love, like we, talk, we were talking about last week, to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which just has such a versatile ensemble that, again, they know exactly how to use those people. So uh, that's that's who I went with for that. How about most underrated ensemble? Uh, per- perennially underrated is the Middles Ensemble. Um Seven years, they're still finding really new things to do with their characters as a group and as individuals. And when you put them in a car, basically, if there's any scene in the car, it's going to be gold. Because these guys just get it. And so it's the in, it's the ensemble of the middle for me. What about you? Um, I have on here Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which we've already talked about. Uh, and people already know that I love looking in Hannibal. And they never get any awards love anywhere. But I also wanted to throw a bone to Always Sunny, uh, which will be starting its 11th season soon. And I thought its 10th season was really, really strong. Um, I think maybe two people talked about it when it premiered. Uh, so it's the end of the year here. I'm throwing a little love to the ensemble over at, uh, at, at It's Always Sunny because that whole group is this very group of very, very funny individuals who also work really well together and also manage to keep the show fresh on season 10. Season 10 is one of their best seasons. When does that happen in a comedy? Well, what comedy goes until season 10 these days? Touche. There's also yeah. that. Well, South Park also in its, I think it's 10th or maybe 12th season at this point, had apparently yeah. a very good season that I haven't seen. But anyway, so underrated ensemble. Wanted to give some love to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. How about best cameo? And we also had best guest appearance. I know it's kind of hard to know where one ends and the other begins. Uh, did you have any thoughts on these two categories? Um, I, let's, I'm just going to merge them in my brain and say Kelly Ripa on Broad City. <laughs> the best thing as a cameo, let's just say, because I feel like that was a bit of a cameo, um, was just fantastic. It was really funny. She played against type, which is always like great. And it was just also one of those 
delightfully weird moments that Broad City really revels in really, really nicely. And so, yeah, best cameo was Kelly Ripa by far. I had um, a little love for Brittany on Jane the Virgin. I thought that was a really funny way to use yes. her. And she is, she's always very game when she shows up on these shows. And that was definitely the case here. Also, Louis, uh, the play that they, that Louis and his daughter go to see, which, again, people don't remember, it starred Matthew Broderick, Glenn Close, John Lithgow, and Michael Sarah. Uh, it was just delightful to have them pop up for that. And then um, for guest appearance, uh, so many came to mind. But the number one was Patti Lapone. Uh, for her one episode of Penny Dreadful, which was amazing, just absolutely elevated the show. It was just her and Eva Green being amazing together. Some of the people that came to mind, John Hamm. On, yeah, that, um, that was on my guest appearance list, yeah. Yep, Kimmy yeah. Schmidt. Uh, Mel Rodriguez on Better Call Saul. Uh, Lois Smith on The Americans. And Joanna Cassidy on Married was also really great in her in her episode as uh uh, the Nat Faxon character's mother. So a bunch of people came to mind for that, uh, which takes us to our next category, the Sixth Man Award. Now, this is a category that you had a little trouble with of the definition. Yes. First. Mainly because, A, I don't understand sports. <laughs> <laughs> and, B, I wasn't totally clear on what the requirements for this was. So, listeners, so, yeah. if you are unfamiliar, a si- the Sixth Man Award is something, it's, it's a basketball term because, of course, there are five starters in basketball. You have five people on, on the court at a given time. So, the Sixth Man Award is, goes to the person who is the all-around player who, they're not in your starting, starting lineup, meaning they're not the regular, in the regular cast, but they pop up. Whenever you need somebody, you can just call them in and they'll... They're a good all-around player. So for the, our purposes, that means somebody who's been on a – you just has kind of been everywhere on your TV or memorably has been a bunch of places on your TV over this past year. Different shows, different kinds of roles, but they're always really great. So uh, who, who'd who you come up with? All right. So based on that, I'm just like my choice for both is kind of squishy. So you'll have to excuse me and I, I apologize, listeners. Um, my first choice for the male was Mel Rodriguez. Um, mm-hmm. Great pick. Had a, had a really great year this year. I mean, regular on Last Man on Earth, but fantastic on that show. But also really great on Better Call Saul um, this year as well. And I, in my brain, Enlisted is still on the air. So, but no, <laughs> and he in was, my heart. <laughs> and in my heart. So, um, but I felt like he had a really breakout like year and a half this year, especially this year. So that was my choice for this. I guess I went with kind of a breakout, but yeah. So Mel Rodriguez was mine. Who was yours? So I can learn what I should have done. <laughs> well, I went with Camille Nanjiani, who okay. uh, was in 15 shows this year, uh, and including, but not limited to listeners, Inside Amy Schumer, Kroll Show, Community, um, Hunt the Truth, Adventure Time, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, or whatever they called it this year. Archer, Broad City, Newsreaders, Portlandia, The Grinder, Major Laser, Silicon Valley, of course, where he's a regular. Um, Sheer RL, Pen Zero, Part-Time Hero. I'm guessing I wrote abbreviations, listeners, because there's a lot of them here. I think that is just about everything he was on. Uh, but he, the guy was on a lot of stuff. And everything that I saw of these, which is a bunch... Uh, he was really, really good. So uh, fantastic year for K- Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, really excited to see him pop up in uh, The X-Files coming up soon yeah. here in January. As, of course, anyone who doesn't listen to The X-Files Files, which is his podcast about The X-Files, 
Uh, it's got Camille Nanjiani and it's got the X-Files. It's a beautiful thing. Listen to it. But so glad that he had such a fantastic year and um, that he's becoming one of those reliable, just bring him in for one episode and he will make your pilot of the grinder just so much better, uh, for example. So uh, he's my sixth man, sixth woman award. Who'd you come up with? Uh, Mary Steenburgen. Um, nice. Who was great on Justified this year, great on Orange is the New Black this year, and also really great on uh, Last Man on Earth, which is weird because I don't really like Last Man on Earth all that much, but it's got two really great actors here, and they were just both really, really great and came in, and Steenburgen hit a nice range of being able to play a ruthless criminal on Justified, a mother on Orange is the New Black, and then a grieving lover and would-be doctor on last man on earth so it was a really nice range for her this year she was also on togetherness in which i didn't see i saw that on her list but i didn't see togetherness she's also really good there too so and that's very different that's kind of like a uh hippie kind of guide you know life coach kind of character Mm -hmm. too so yeah fantastic pick um i went with beth dover I I considered Michaela Watkins, Michaela Watkins, who's sure. wonderful, and she was in Eleven Things this year. But most of them I didn't see, so instead I went with Beth Dover, who was also in Eleven Things, um, including uh, Truth Be Told, which I did not see that episode because I saw the first episode. And why would I watch more? Sorry, guys, it was not a good show. Uh, if any of you, if any of the creators are listening, I'm sorry your show was not good. Hopefully you will be able to make a good show in the future. Um, but Truth Be Told, Orange Is the New Black, uh, Newsreaders, Fresh Off the Boat, Difficult. People, People, comedy Bang Bang, Chasing Life, Big Time in Hollywood, Florida, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, Another Period, and Children's Hospital, of course, where she was Nurse Beth. Uh, that's where she is always in my heart. She is Nurse Beth from Children's Hospital. But I, I thought it was just so much fun in each of those appearances where she popped up. Uh, I want to say she was also, isn't she the girlfriend in the beginning of The Player? We will talk more about her later <laughs> when we get to a less complimentary so. category. Yeah. Uh, so that would make it 12. But um glad to see her pop up everywhere i'm always happy when beth over's on my tv so that that is my sixth woman for for 2015 and that wraps up our first group of categories yay very exciting now we're going to move on swiftly to our character awards related but not uh not quite the same who did you have for your favorite new characters of the year i went with rachel goldberg on unreal um we talked a bit about unreal and rachel um last week so i won't like harp on it but it was just a really compelling performance by shiri appleby but it was also just a really damaged interesting character for her to play and a really good way for us to start thinking about how unreal was doing its thing basically and so yeah no absolutely i can't wait for season two and see what rachel gets into again great great pick um i have uh luca from the good wife okay uh i have uh gabriel from the americans kimmy schmidt uh and then dorothy from you're the worst and i couldn't not mention the scorpion from orphan black who (laughs) i love i love the scorpion so much thank you orphan black for giving that to me uh how about i I feel i feel like we're gonna have another mind melt here best villain or new best new villain this year is it Kilgrave? It has to be Kilgrave. It, there's no one else. There's no other. Tri- I, I've got some other things here, but it's it's only Kilgrave. Yeah. No, it's only Kilgrave. I mean, insanely charismatic performance, but also just perfectly sad and pathetic at the same time. And but also just really threatening. And I mean, that's it's such a model tough cocktail of a character that it's the best villain 
by yeah, far. Definitely. I want to give a little love to Shield because they keep uh they kept making me think they were gonna turn Ward into an anti hero and they just never did. And then they killed him. Uh I I guess I should say, by the way, listeners, you're gonna get spoiled. Yeah. For the yeah, years TV. That <laughs> will happen. If this is a concern, turn off the podcast now when you feel like you've watched everything you want to watch from this year and you don't care about spoilers anymore, start back up. But yeah, so I love that they they just were like, no, he's a villain bad guy. Done. Staying a villain. And then Hannibal, right? How could it mean Hannibal? Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously. But no, the answer is Kilgrave. <laughs> just like the answer for pe- best parents is the Wongs. I picked the Matthews from Girl Meets World. Are you kidding me? You didn't no. go with Lewis and Jessica Wong. No, I went with the Matthews and Girl Meets World. Wow. This yeah. is, I don't even know you anymore, sir. <laughs> well, explain your, I mean, I have a big place for Boy Meets World in my heart. So, I mean, I, I feel you, but let's talk a little bit about your pick here. Why did you go with them? Um, It's one of those things where it just reminds me again, I, one of the big things about Girl Meets World is just the nostalgia factor of the show. But seeing both Topanga and Corey as parents is just really interesting. And what seeing Corey, the extra layer of seeing Corey as both a father, but also serving as the Mr. Feeney character, really brings it all home in a really interesting way. And you can see him struggle with having to be both at the same time. And they actually make a lot of hay of that in an episode like earlier this season where he's struggling with being the teacher and with being the dad. And their support of Maya, sorry, not, well, of Maya as well, but also Riley and Augie is just really, really great. So, yeah, no, the Matthews for me. Oh, man. By far. I just love Fresh Off the Boat, and I love those characters, and I love those performances so much. For me, it was a no-brainer. Uh, but I have a few picks here for, for best kids. So why don't you take it away? Who were your, who were your picks for best kids? Um, obviously, you know, Ian and Emery from Fresh Off the Boat, um, were, I mean, just great. Um, and I love the two of them together. Um, also Maya from Girl Meets World as well. Um, just a really great performance, but also just a really interesting character and a really nice riff on the Sean archetype that they established in Boy Meets World, but... A lot more interesting, I think. Uh, who were your picks? I have the Wongs, of course, because yeah. they're awesome. Uh, but I also have Paige from The Americans and okay. Lily from Louie. Again, that episode I already referenced where they go to the play and she's on her like phone the whole time, and the, and which leads to a smackdown, uh, a verbal smackdown, listeners, never you fear, from Louie about paying attention in the moment. And her very thoughtful response to that was really great. So I love the way that they wrote that character and the performance as well. So I want to give some love to to Lily from uh, from Louie. How about on-screen death? Mason Verger getting eels into his mouth. <laughs> it was just one and done for you? Just like, obviously that's the pick. Yeah, that I couldn't think of any other on-screen death that was terrible and terrific at the same time. It was just like, yeah, no, a guy, an eel sw- swam into his mouth and he died, and it was gorgeous and awful and so Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly Hannibal, it's true. Um, uh, so I've got Lois Smith from the Americans, Boone on Justified which I thought was a really fun way to do that. And then a very different on-screen death, but one I still loved, Jerry in the Parks and Rec finale. Oh, okay. Here's the sad secret that you're going to be really upset with. I don't, I've, I've only seen like eight episodes of Parks and Recreation. I don't, I don't understand. Like if you had seen like two, 
I could get it, but I, I, you, how do you see enough to see eight and then not need to watch them all? It's like you have a healthy relationship with television. Uh, I hate joy and happiness is what people tell me when I tell them I don't like Parks and Recreation. Oh, fair enough. Well, how about <laughs> uh, how about badasses? Which badasses came to mind for you this year? Uh, Peggy Carter um, on Agent Carter. I mean, for me, I don't think that there was really another more badass person than Peggy Carter. Using a machine gun to mow down folks was just, like, the best thing that happened to me. Um, but <clears throat> from a non-action standpoint, from just a sheer supportive type of standpoint, Joe West on The Flash um, just, like, can bring comfort and joy and to everyone around him. And that's pretty badass, too, I think. So action badass, emotional badass. We will be talking more about Joe West in a little bit. Uh, definitely considered him for parents as yeah. well, best parents. But um, so, who did you have? Carol from The Walking Dead. Anyone okay. who saw the episode with the wolves uh, will know what I'm talking about. And then also some love for Son on Sense Eight. Total badass. A lot of fun with that with, with that character. How about character that you want to see more of next year? And I will get to see more of Luke Cage next year, and I'm so excited about that, just from a character perspective and to learn more about how Luke Cage works, but also just to see more Mike Coulter on my TV as Luke Cage. I'm very, very excited about that. So I can't wait for more Luke Cage and more Mike Coulter. Who, who are you ready to see more of? I'm ready to see more of a character that I, I suppose they could be become the Urkel if the show didn't do it right. But I trust the actor enough to think that he wouldn't let that happen. I want to see more Cisco. I always want to see more Cisco from The Flash and from Arrow. He's been getting a lot of play this season, though. Yeah, I could even yeah. take more is what I'm saying. Okay, Like, let's have him pop up on Arrow more because when he's on Arrow, he makes Arrow better, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to be on Legends tomorrow at least once. There so we you go. Got that. There you go. There you go. Are you are you reaching your Cisco level? Uh no, I'm not reaching my Cisco level. I'm reaching my I need more Caitlin on the Flash level. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. How about actor that you want to see more of next year? Mark Rylance. I just need him on something next year so I can see him do more stuff. Fair Whatever enough. Whatever it is. I don't even care what it is. He can read the phone book. I I don't care. Just I need more of that. Who 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 do you want to see more of? I want to see more Caitlin Olsen, like I always okay. say. Always want more Caitlin Olsen. And she's got a new show coming that hopefully will be fantastic. Um, and also more Paul Reiser, uh, who's so good. And uh, loved him on Married. Married is gone now. R.I.P. Married. Uh, but I would like to see more Paul Reiser on an, a different show. So hopefully he'll pop up. On the upside, Mad About You's coming out on DVD soon. Ah, see a future DVD shelf. There we go. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that wraps up our character awards listeners. So now we're going to take a break and listen to some of the music from this year. Maybe listen to some voicemails from the, the previous guest co-hosts on the podcast. And we'll be right back with our production awards. And I will crush that Spider-Man and then that other Spider-Man and all the Spider-Man till I'm the Spider-Man. Joy. 
he's tall and sweet like a candy cane. And when we walk down the street, we refuse to explain how a daddy's boy and a daddy's boy's daddy and a daddy's boy's daddy's daddy could love each other so. Listen to the twiddle of the little dicky bird. Sometimes what you think you hear is not quite what you heard. Twiddle dee twid twoo means I love you. Tweet twoo twiddle dee means get off of me. Twitty 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 means you're my little sweetie. Twatty twitty twiddle means do your right a little. Oh dicky bird, dicky bird, dicky bird, do. Trying to tell you that I love you like the dicky bird do. Me and my mid-sized car You don't have to be popular Find out who your true friends are In the boudoir Hi Televerse, this is Caroline Sita from the AV Club, and this year I'd like to celebrate some unsung heroes, starting with the ABC miniseries The Astronauts' Wives Club. This focuses on the wives of the original Mercury 7 NASA astronauts, and while it's far from the best show on TV, I think it's doing some really cool things when it comes to exploring women in history. Specifically, it's looking at the fact that even though women were denied positions of power throughout history, their stories are no less dramatically interesting, so episodes focus on the way these women had to put on a perfect pace, face for the press, even though things might not be so perfect at home, the way they dealt with the stress of having their husbands go on these incredibly dangerous missions and the way they sort of bonded together because of that. It also looks at the way these women actually made concrete policy changes in NASA, specifically about the way they were alerted when their husbands were in danger. And in the best episode of the season, Flashpoint, it explored the fact that there were actually women in the 1950s and 60s who were training to be astronauts as well, and they were denied the right to join NASA. And that's slightly insane because women's bodies are actually biologically better for space. So mostly, Astronauts Wife Club is kind of a fun and frothy show, but at its best, I think it gets to some really interesting exploration of women in history. Moving on to another ABC series, I want to highlight a couple of performances in Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is far from the best superhero show on TV, but I think is getting some really nice work out of a couple of actors. Starting with Adrienne Palicki, who joined the cast in the back half of season two as Bobby Morse, aka Mockingbird. Palicki is just insanely charismatic in the role, and she's really great at the fight choreography. I actually think of anyone on this show, she's the one that I think could really hold her own with any of those Avengers, and I am all for giving Mockingbird her own movie. Moving on, I want to highlight a couple of dramatic performances as well, specifically Elizabeth Henstridge as Gemma Simmons and Ian DeCastiker as Leo Fitz. Frankly, the show does not deserve to have performances as good as the ones it's getting from Henstridge and DeCastiker. Uh, the, the season has really focused on the Fitz and Simmons relationship, and they are both turning in really phenomenal performances every week. And finally, I want to point you guys towards a British detective series called Grandchester that aired on PBS at the start of 2015. This is set in the 1950s in a small village called Grandchester, and it actually follows a priest who kind of gets roped into solving mysteries with a more hardened detective. Uh, you get a really great performance here from James Norton as that priest, Sidney Chambers. And on its surface, this is pretty much a familiar, if very well done, detective series. But I also think that the show is kind of interested in exploring sort of the underbelly of 1950s society. So you get a focus on racism and homophobia and 
patriarchy and PTSD people, soldiers are still experiencing from World War II. So I think it's doing some really interesting things. It is coming back for a season two. There's only a couple episodes in that first season, so I would highly recommend checking that one out. All right, thanks and happy holidays. That's right, kids. Now, be more specific about the problem. All the rest of us can choose a path. Happy Pinky Smash, but any choice that DC makes is easily suppressed. How? By some asshole with a rider who might live in Tennessee can destroy a needle program for preventing HIV. It's true. It's horrifying, but it's true. Tell me who was it who really thought of that? Michael, you'll be pleased to know the people responsible are all gone, so... Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Why? They got staffing problems, too. That, that's actually true. Their recruitment numbers are at best a little flat. That's a nuanced point, Michael Bolton. Now, I don't want to know just how we get along without them. Because you never miss your We're back with the Televerse and the 2015 Smorgasbordgy, and it's time for our production awards, or as I call them, uh, uh, the Hannibal Wins All the Drama Ones Award. Uh, so just, like, assume, listeners, if I haven't said Hannibal, it's implied, right? Um, It won some of them for me. Not all of them, but some, <laughs> yes. Well, uh, one I'm guessing it didn't win uh, is Notable Comedy Direction. Oh, no, Hannibal totally won for comedy direction. Did you see? <laughs> Technically, you killed him. It's immaculately directed. No, um, I went with 12 Angry Men inside Amy Schumer um, mm. for aping Sidney Sin- Lumet's um, film, but also just hitting the pacing and timing of a nineteen late 1950s uh, movie, but also just the use of black and white. The, the costuming, everything just is really spot on, and they made sure that their actors stayed in the correct lane that they needed to stay in to make sure that this really clicked into place. So Ryan McFall and Amy Schumer did a really, really great job with 12 Angry Men inside Amy Schumer. Who did you, what did you pick for notable comedy direction? I went with Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for the way that they captured her, the character's energy and Mm -hmm. enthusiasm. And really for me, it was, they captured that visual energy as well with how, you know, how the show is put together. It's going to spoiler alert. It's also my pick for comedy editing. Um, again, the way that they put all that together on the show uh, to, to to make it feel of a piece with that character was very effective for me. So that is my notable comedy direction. How about notable drama direction? Well, it's Hannibal, but I'm I'm curious about where we di- if we're going to differ. Okay. Um, I picked Digestivo with Adam Kane's, uh, just because Digestivo is such a weird, macabre, bizarro type of. Sh- episode and he made it all like come together in a really great way but then you have that last scene in the cabin where will breaks up with hannibal and it's just like oh you did a really good job with this adam well done (laughs) kudos to you sir uh what did you pick well from hannibal i would go with uh aperitif uh, which, sure. Or sure. no, sorry. I would go with Antipasto, which is okay. the season premiere. And yeah. again, their use of 
uh, black and white and the different aspect ratios with that yeah. and, and the sweeping into Once Upon a Time into where they're in Italy. I mean, I uh, just I Vincenzo Natale did a wonderful job. And I also loved his other episodes. So many yeah. uh, you could pick from a Hannibal. But for other shows, uh, I wanted to give some love to the Americans, to Outlander, particularly two of the most difficult episodes to watch in my memory of television, which is, uh, and, and I say that with tremendous respect rather than anger because of how they were handled uh, on Outlander. Uh, but also I want to give some love to Better Call Saul because Better Call Saul um, benefited so tremendously from basically picking up the production team from uh, Breaking Bad. So everybody already had that comfort working together that, you know, multiple seasons under your belt can give you. So the, the sure. confidence, the confidence in the pacing and direction of the beginning of Better Call Saul, that's just something you almost never see, at least I almost never have seen in a first season of a TV show. So, yeah. again, very patient direction and editing there. So lots of love for Better Call Saul. How about, uh, I know, I know we cut listeners a little peek behind the curtain. We cut the most memorable long take category, but then I remembered Charlie work from, uh, from always sunny, which is an episode told entirely in one unbroken 20 minute take. So I had to put the category back in, but it, I cheated. No. So you don't have a pick for that because we weren't supposed to have that category. Instead we have cinematography. Uh, who, who's your pick for that? Hannibal, I mean, was was there another pick for me? <laughs> I mean, Wolf Hall. No, I, I mean, Wolf Hall's on here, but um, no, cinematography was Hannibal, hands down. I mean, just for the reasons that you mentioned, just like when you were talking about um, Natalie's direction, but just in general, the show cinematography is just always really spot on, uh, just as a whole a whole award. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's just it's gorgeous. Yeah. See, see our our last. Uh, this is our design for more on that. How about costuming? Uh, also, Hannibal. Um, I mean, I could not let suits uh, get away, especially Alana's uh, pantsuits in the second half of the season. Which is so good, so, so good. good. Uh, and... Bedelia's dress also. Bam. Yeah, but yeah, Bedelia's Hitchcock Hitchcock outfit with the hat and everything. Yeah, yeah. no, great. And also, all of Will's sweaters in the second half. <laughs> I want all of those sweaters. Kate, you don't know how badly I want all of those sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm also going to throw some love to Empire, which has yeah. just absolutely fantastic costuming. Um, go check out, listeners, uh, uh, Pop Style Opinion Fest, Tom Lorenzo's Pop Style Opinion Fest, which has fantastic analysis of the costuming on Empire. And recently, as we record, they interviewed the costumer, costume designer, oh, I should cool. say. So people, again... TomLorenzo.com, check out the Pop Style Opinion Fest, which is their podcast. Um, also, I had to throw in a little nod to Man Seeking Woman and Eric Andre's sex slave outfit that he ends up in, which, uh, if you haven't seen this, Noel, just do, do yourself a, a Google search there, and you'll be... No, no, I've seen it. I don't need to Google search it again. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, you know, etched into your memory, whether you want it there or not. It's, it's, Pretty much. Yeah. Like most of Man Seeking Woman is sadly etched into my brain. Fair enough. How about, uh, let's move on then to set design. Wolf Hall's set design is just immaculate. It helps that they shot in a lot of historically appropriate locations and used uh, a number of safe spaces, but also just its use of natural lighting is fantastic. Um, so much candle lit scenes is, is just great. So for me, there wasn't really another choice for this, but Wolf Hall. Fair enough. I went with uh, Eli's tiny office on The Good Wife. <laughs> 
because it they've makes gotten me happy. so much mileage out of it more than I would have ever thought. Yeah, it shouldn't still be funny, uh, but based on you know combining the editing and direction and performance from Eli yeah. every time somebody bangs a desk and you know door into his desk, but just the, the way that that space is constructed and the way they make it feel well, well done, the good wife. Yeah. Uh, I'm not always going to be kind to you this afternoon, but I will in this. Also, I want to give a little love to the the nail salon office on Better Call Saul, which I thought was a really uh, neat visual space as well. And and you like tiny spaces this year? Well, no, but it's like that that whole salon though. It's not just oh the whole salon. Okay. Yeah, not just the office, but the the whole you know like the the fact that he comes in through it and there's the the water with the cucumbers or the lemons that he's not allowed to drink and. And then and they, they make good use of both of those, his back office, but also the salon. So I wanted to give some love there. And also Hannibal and the cage and like lots of things in Hannibal. But we've already said that. So instead, let's move on to hair and makeup. What came to mind? Uh, same thing for both of these um, is Key and Peel. Um, does really great work with wigs and hair and makeup, making sure that Key and Peel feel distinct each in each different sketch as appropriate. Um, and it's just, it was a really impressive year for them overall. And they've always done really good work with their hair and makeup stuff from doing pirates or doing really annoying guys on an airplane. Um, just a really great, um, work for both of them on both hair and makeup for them. What did you pick for these? Uh, I immediately went to, um, the Americans for their wigs uh, which I, that's, that counts as hair, I, I would say. Cause I, I yeah. just, you know, one of my best moments of the T of the year TV wise is, you know, that wig moment that we talked about last week. So I, I couldn't not, not send some love, uh, to, to those guys. And also I just want to give a shout out cause we were talking about great beards last week. And, uh, I also wanted to give a, a shout out to the ridiculousness of, uh, Timothy Omenson's beard on Gallivant, which so is so good. It's, it's stunning. so good. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's a great beard. The man can grow a beard. It's my favorite part of Gallivant. Yeah, basically his <laughs> beard is the best part of Gallivant. Uh, more on that later. For for makeup, I also, I mean, I just, I can't not give some love to The Walking Dead. Cause sure, absolutely. It's just such an achievement, what they do every week, the creativity and the execution. Um, and also to be able to make that stuff practical for stunts and everything, too. Uh, mm -hmm. So so well done to The Walking Dead. Now, I've already said my pick for editing uh, one of the big ones for me was Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for the comedy yeah. editing. Did you have uh, any picks for editing? Did you break it down between comedy and drama or did you just keep like, overall, right? I just went overall. Um, but I, I always feel like editing is really important in comedies. So I'm actually more hyper aware of editing in comedy than I am in dramas. And the show with like some of the best comedic editing ever and consistently is Archer has fantastic editing. Um, there are cuts between scenes to sync up jokes from their last line, first line of scenes is just always really spot on. And that's as much an editing as it is a writing thing. But then there's also just making sure that everyone feels like they're in the room recording at the same time, which you don't always, which they're not for Archer. And so it's always really, it's a great both sound and visual editing mix that uh, Archer does year in and year out. And that's why Archer's just part of why Archer is just really, really funny is that the editing is just on point each week. Uh, I'm also for, for drama. The one that came to mind for me is Fargo because it's not 
on either of our top 20s and it's not a show that we love we i've no. we've slagged it off plenty on the podcast <laughs> however their use of split screen this season has been really effective that is a gimmick that i should be very tired of but mm-hmm. they their use of of it throughout they were very very creative with it and they made sure that there was always a reason that we were seeing what we were seeing um they also have just some really fantastic shots and when they're cutting back and forth between these like helicopter shots overhead and close-ups i I thought the editing on fargo while again i may not have that emotional connection that i really need to love a show to truly love a show um i do have a tremendous amount of respect especially for the performances and the editing uh, on Fargo. So it's getting uh, some love here for that category for me, at least. Um, how about most inventive animation? It's Gorilla Grodd on the flash. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, just for this. I mean, I had been looking forward to seeing how Grodd was going to work on the flash because it was just like, there's no way they have the budget for this. There's no way that this will look good. And it looked fantastic. Uh, Grodd looks, looked great in both Grodd Lives and in um, when he came back in season two. He still looked really great. I almost gave it to King Shark for his cameo. Because <laughs> <laughs> that also looked fantastic. And they acknowledged it was way too expensive. Um, but no, Gorilla Grodd, most inventive animation for me this year. Just because it looked fantastic. Um, and was exceeded expectations for what I thought Grodd was going to look like on a TV show that was live action. What did you pick for inventive animation? I went with uh, Rick and Morty because one of the characters in one of their episodes was a fart (laughs) that can talk. uh, And they made that work. Some of that's the voice work, some of that's the writing, but it's also the animation. Uh, they it's, it had a fantastic second season of Rick and Morty, uh, which still didn't end up on my list uh, for a top 20, but I wanted to throw some love to them here. Also, shout out to Adventure Time for the comet, specifically at the end of the, mm-hmm. the previous season. And, uh, I mean, how do you not love the animation throughout Weird Mageddon on uh, Gravity Falls and the way that they change styles for each yeah. different, you know, little burst of uh of a, of a weirdness bubble or personality uh that was really great but uh no rick and morty gets gets the animation award for me this year um that takes us to our music awards one of the most challenging categories yeah. for me i was just like um oh, this will be easy and then i went oh i have a i went i have to step up my game because this kate is going to be really really good in this category and B, I was also just like, I can actually think of music instances this year, in part because so many shows I watched made sure I was paying attention to the music. Mm-hmm. So that that made a difference as well. So, yeah. Uh, so why don't you go first? What was your uh, new theme song opening credits that you really loved this year? There were so many. There were a lot. Um, but I made myself only <laughs> pick a couple. So I feel like you can't not pick Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, yeah. And I also uh, really loved what they did with uh, Fresh Off the Boat uh, to really set the time and place of that. And a late addition, the F is for Family introduction uh, mm-hmm. tells basically that would have kept that kept me watching after the first scene. I wasn't sure. I don't know that I want to spend time in this world. And then the intro and the opening credits tell you so much about this character in such a succinct way while also you know being set to a really great song uh that it care it rounds out that lead very angry very shouty character and it and contextualizes him almost immediately 
so so I also want to give a little love there to F is for Family, which many people by the when they're listening to this may not have seen it yet because it only dropped uh, December eighteenth on yeah. Netflix. But a uh, little love for that. Maybe it's recency bias, but little love for that. How about how about you? What did you go with? Um, I had Kimmy Schmidt as well on here, um, which I mean, it's just fantastic and really great. And I the best thing really about Kimmy Schmidt theme song is also how it became a diegetic thing within yeah. the show itself and i just loved that i thought that was really fantastic uh the other choice i had was uh jessica jones's opening credit sequence both the music and just the art style of it as well just really kind of brings you in and settles you into this kind of noirish vibe that the show is going for so yeah so it was jessica jones and kimmy schmidt's yeah. uh opening credits this yeah. year steven universe wasn't new but it was new to no. me so that also yeah. kind of like could... well they they did have like a new sequence this yeah so I mean that 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 helps I yeah. think that's fair yeah yeah I like the original sequence I like the song better from the original yeah. one but I like the animation from the new one so yeah. but anyways yeah. how about best score or for me uh, the 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 Hannibal Award for best score it's 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 the Hannibal Award for best no it's it's Brian Reitzel. Um, there, there's no one else. I mean, even as much as I love David Buckley's work on The Good Wife, and it's still really great, it's, one, it's still one of the best things about The Good Wife is David Buckley's score, but it's Brian Reitzel's work on Hannibal, by far and away. Yeah, uh, yeah. definitely not even close for me. Also love Rectify, also love uh, what Cliff Martinez is continuing to do on The Nick. There's a lot of really interesting composing work going out there, but for me nothing comes close to the achievement yeah. of Hannibal. Uh, so let's move swiftly on to Soundtrack. I picked Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for this, um, just because I love all the songs, pretty much, and um, I some of them get stuck in my head, some of them don't, but most of them get stuck in my head, and I just, I really love the soundtrack for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. I think it's, I think it's just really lovely. Uh, what about you? Um, that's a great pick, and it's a great play, place to, to recognize that as well, because it's, it's, again, it's the consistency as yeah. a whole, it's really great. Um, also, for more, you know, not original songs, but a more traditional uh, soundtrack, I uh, want to give some love to Halt and Catch Fire. Just so reliable. Great soundtrack yeah. every week. The Americans and Looking as well, but this seemed like a, a good place to give a little love to Halt and Catch Fire. How about, I think the hardest category of any category, best original song. Musical Moment was also really hard, okay. but original song was really, really hard. Um, but I went with the Sexy Getting Ready song. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just because it, it so thoroughly put us into what Crazy Ex-Girlfriend wants to do, mm-hmm. especially with those particular numbers, with the big dream numbers, it gets, it tells you exactly what it is. Plus, I love the rapper coming in and saying, this is some patriarchal bullshit. I'm going <laughs> to go apologize to some bitches. And it's just like. <laughs> Yes, I'm I'm sold. So no, it was it was the sexy getting ready song. Um, and then we'll get to how difficult this was for musical moments because okay. everything else ended up in musical moments. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, uh, for me, uh, it it's just the correct choice is is the is Garnet song, which you might have in musical moments. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I, I would yeah. have that in original song. Um, also Negro Town from Key and Peele amazing nice. yes uh, uh pinot noir again song music moment i don't know but either way it's amazing that's where i ended up with where a lot of these were just like both of these are original songs but also big emotional moments where set does it to 
where does it fit? So that's why I kind of went with this, and then my list of musical moments is just massively long. It's yeah. not. It's like three, but still. But still. <laughs> and then for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I would give it to Settle for me, uh, because I just love that just so much. But uh, let's move on and just... Uh, it's that's the beautiful thing about us having a podcast. We can talk as long as we freaking want about musical <laughs> moments. It's our show, so yeah. Uh, musical moments, go for it. All right, uh, I'm, I mentioned this last week, but the men of the Hong family singing "Boys to Men" around the dinner table while eating noodles, God, so great. It, I just, I've watched that clip. I can't tell you how many times because it cracks me up every time, and it's another nice example of. Constance Wu giving really great reaction to the fact that all the men in her life are singing this voice to men song to her. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, um, End of the Road is just, it's fantastic. And I love the little, the spoken word bit at the end that comes in and like closes out the scene. Because it's one thing for them just to start singing as a group steadily, but then to make sure that that last little spoken word bit is in there. Oh, just it it killed me. Um, do you I you want to go back and forth on this? We can go or... back and forth. Yeah. Um, so what else did you what what did you have? Also, I'll, I'll go with ones that I know aren't on yours. Sure. So that okay. way we won't you know yeah. cancel each other out. So uh, uh, karaoke and on the leftovers. Uh, the, yes. In the finale, yeah. fantastic. I've already talked about it a bunch on the leftovers season one spotlight. Uh, but really great moments. Such fantastic catharsis such lack of vanity from justin thoreau to be like you're not going to sound good and you're going to start crying and there's going to be snot coming out of your nose and it's going to be this moment of revelation for you uh uh fantastic moment dramatically musically the song choice and everything too great musical moment go for it yeah um well since you already mentioned it let's let's talk about garnett's garnett garnett's song stronger than you and how awesome is it yeah, it's going to show up again, listeners, yeah. uh, on another category because it's too <laughs> awesome for one category. Right. No, it's too great. And, I mean, I think my favorite thing about it is that we waited so long for a Garnett song. So long. And then it happened and it was the best thing ever. Especially no. knowing that she's voiced by Estelle, who yeah, no, is that's an the other thing. Just, yeah. Yeah. You're just like... Why are you giving her? You've given every. You've given Greg a song already. How how does how do we not have one? Well, Greg probably. I don't think Greg had a song by then. But still, yeah. it was just like how how does she not have a song yet? And then we got it, and it was so good. Yeah, which is not to say that the Pearl songs aren't wouldn't also be excellent choices here for right. all of and the feels. I do have a Pearl song in here. I bet you can't guess which one. <laughs> do it for her. <laughs> it's do it for her. And all the tears. <laughs> And yeah. all of the tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Very nice. I have uh, What's Up or what, What's Going On uh, from Sense8, which is that, that song moment that y'all have heard about from Sense8, that even if you haven't seen it, because it is tremendous and it's a really um, satisfying and uh, it's just a, it's a really great moment. And uh, I would also connect the symphony when, when we watch them experience the symphony as well. Uh, mm -hmm. That's another really powerful musical moment for me as as a orchestral musician, as a symphonic musician. Uh, that's something that I uh, particularly appreciate. But no, uh, what's up montage or sequence, uh, which will also come back shortly here um, from Sensei. Do you have Do you have more picks? I have one more pick, and it's kind of a cheat. Go um, for if it. that's okay. Um, it's always it's okay. mainly it's encouraged. 
it's mainly because this show came out at like literally the end of last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, Mozart in the Jungle and them playing in the alleyway uh, was just really, really great for me. I really enjoyed that sequence a lot. Um, and it, and I don't know how you feel about Mozart in the Jungle. I feel like you, I feel like I remember you not particularly liking it very much. Um, for what, I can't remember why, and I may be misremembering, but I just really loved that particular moment. Um, but that came out last year, but I'm going to count it for this year because it was so close. Yeah, I haven't seen much of Mozart in the Jungle, Mozart in the Jungle. I saw the premiere, uh, the pilot, I should say, went, do not care for this, do not buy most of the characters, and that is nothing like my experience of the symphony world, but instead a caricature of it, and I'm not interested in watching that. Um, however, I have heard from people that it gets better and it gets less character uh, like they get a little bit more interested in labor disputes and less interested in everybody having sex with everybody and that sounds like a show i would want to watch so and apparently season two does a deep dive into the labor disputes which was my favorite part about the show in fact i mean i was just really fascinated because the Atlanta symphony itself had a major labor dispute this year um so that was something that was being covered so yeah no it was like really timely yeah yeah i might need to to dip back uh, dip my toe back in um because i i've only seen the first episode of, of that mm-hmm. one so the last one i have is celebrate me home from playing house the sing-along we get um in, in the finale of that one which is such a lovely little moment um gotta gotta, gotta enjoy a nice uh, kenny loggins cameo that's another good cameo uh, option there um but that'll move us to to best dance sequences uh, or the basically like the the West Covina category like how else what else comes to mind? Uh, nothing else comes to mind. Um, you you had mentioned S- settle for me earlier, and this is actually my best dance sequence. Um, in part because it takes the Astaire and Rogers uh, style and dance is always dance especially at that point was used as a substitute for sex and seduction but really classy because they're in tuxes and ball gowns so it's okay (laughs) and it and it got through censorship issues but it was used as a substitute for that and i love that they took that idea and paired it with that song and just played that idea of settling for someone which is not what you're supposed to do in this astaire and Rogers dance number where this is where you're supposed to fall in love, not where you're supposed to settle for someone. And that's where I just really kind of zoned in on how really great it was the combination of the dance and the song together that just really made this great for me. But yeah, no settle for me's dance sequence is fantastic. Great pick. Um, and like you say, the context of it is so yeah. crucial to, to elevating the whole thing individually song sequence. Great together yeah. it's something truly special uh, i also have from louis the the sort of odd sort of dance or waltz he has as the mm-hmm. general like the civil war get up kind of thing they have in, in the finale which was just one of those wonderfully beautifully louis moments that i would have liked more of this this season uh, the, louis is showing up on very few end of year lists it wasn't even really in contention for mine which makes me sad uh but there were some moments that stuck in my memory and this was one of them. So it's not really a sequence. It's just sort of a moment, but I wanted to give it a little love here. Um, and at West Covina as well. And settle for me as well. And all of those other yeah. great, uh, craziest girlfriend, uh, moments come to mind. How about a uh, best deployment of a pre-existing song? This one was actually really hard for me. Uh, cause I just couldn't think of one right off the top of my head. And then I remembered don't turn around or whatever the song is actually called. Um, cause I can't remember the name of the actual song from I zombie. 
uh, when Major storms the meat cute mm-hmm. and just d- destroys everything. And the best thing is, is like every time someone turns around, they get shot. So and that's don't turn around. Yeah, exactly. Don't turn around. And when you turned around, you got shot. Like we um, told so, you with our music. <laughs> right. And I mean, it's also one of those instances where a diegetic song becomes non-diegetic, which is always really interesting for me. And so, no, it's by far and away, but it was also really the only big example that came to mind for me. And this isn't even the right name of the song, and I apologize that I should have looked it up. I thought it was Don't Turn Around. <laughs> <laughs> hey, good enough. Works for me. Yeah. I have La Gazaladra from from Hannibal for the okay. uh, the fight scene we get with Hannibal and Jack, which is good just choice. So wonderful, loved it so much. And then uh, it also it, it wasn't used where we may have anticipated it, but just having "You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive" come back, you know, of course, like it had to for the justified yeah. finale one more time. I wanted to to mention that as well. How about uh, best montage? This one actually took me a while to figure out because I couldn't remember a really good montage, and then I kind of cheated, even though it's not technically a cheat. But I went with Alana and Margot's kaleidoscopic sex scene. Because we have to put it somewhere, and it was You have to put it somewhere. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, how else are you going to get that kind of a sex scene on NBC? Oh, we're not going to show anything. Instead, we're going to show this, this, and it's just, it's great. And I loved it. And it's, it's, the music's really good in it as well. And it's just visually stunning. It's just, it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, the great pick. Great pick. Um, I have Better Call Saul, the, the conning montage we get from, 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 uh, the, I want to say it's the finale or maybe the second to last episode of the season. And then also it's where I found a little, a spot to, to have a little love for parenthood. I really loved the last baseball sequence we got for the show because that was such an important touch point for parenthood and for those characters and so to have that be sort of our ending sequence with the whole family together was i thought a really lovely way to to send off parenthood so that that's that is my montage but yeah in previous years montage has been easy this year it was a thinner crowd yeah Uh, I, i couldn't really think of many montages that really stuck out to me Basically, we need to watch some Lost again, and then we'll be like, oh god, all the all the feelings of the end of episode montages, yeah, all of them, all of the feels. Well, (laughs) listeners, let's take a break so we can process our feels, and you can feel some feels as we listen to some of the best music and musical moments of the year. We'll be right back after this with our writing awards. This is Garnet back together. And I'm never going down at the hands of the likes of you Because I'm so much better And every part of me is saying go get her The two of us ain't gonna follow your rules Come at me without any of your fancy tools Let's go, just me and you Let's go, just one on two Go ahead and try and hit me if you're able Can't you see that my relationship is stable I can see you hate the way we intermingle But I think you're just mad cause you're single And you're not gonna stop what we made together We're gonna stay like this Hello, Kate. It is your pal, R-I-C-K-Y to the D, and I'm just calling in to leave you a quick voicemail to hopefully add in to your end-of-the-year celebration when you talk about the best of TV of 2015. But first, I just want to congratulate you on a year of successful podcasting. Thank you once again for 
hosting, producing, and editing what I think is by far the best TV podcast, period. With that said, I also want to let you know what my favorite episode of the Televerse was for 2015, and it's an easy pick. It was episode 208 when you guys talked about Steven Universe, a show I've never heard of. So that was, I think, my favorite episode of 2015, but let me let you in on what I think is my personal favorite DVD spotlight of 2015, and perhaps I'm a little biased here, Kate, it goes to The Wonder Years because I had so much fun guest hosting the Televerse podcast and talking about The Wonder Years, one of my favorite shows of all time, with you and my, my buddy Simon. So uh, thank you once again. I think that is the DVD spotlight that I'll be able to listen to 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now and have a big smile on my face. As for my favorite TV show of 2015, it's really hard for me to decide. I really want to give it to Mr. Robot because I think a lot of people haven't yet seen the show, and I think it deserves a far bigger audience. But I'm going to have to be honest. I'm going to have to give it to The Leftovers Season 2. I think The Leftovers Season 2 is not only my favorite show of 2015, but that season is one of my favorite seasons of television ever. Thank you once again for a great year in podcasting. I look forward to 2016. And uh, best of luck because uh, there's a lot more TV shows coming out and I have no idea how you're going to fit into your busy schedule. Happy holidays. Keep your stance wide. Keep your body lowered. As you're moving forward, balance is the key. Right foot, left foot. Now go even faster. And as you're moving backwards, keep your eyes on me. Keep my stance wide. Good. Keep my body lowered. Right. As I'm moving forward. Concentrate. Don't you want him to live? Right foot, left foot. Yes, but put your whole body into it. Everything you have, everything you are, you've got to give. On the battlefield, when everything is chaos, and you have nothing but the way you feel, your strategy and a sword. You just think about the life you'll have together after the war. And then you do it for her. That's how you know you can win. You do it for her. That is to say, you'll do it for him. Some say I have no direction. That I'm a light-speed distraction But that's a knee-jerk reaction Still, this is the final frontier Everything is so clear To my destiny I steer This life in the stars is all I've ever known Stars and stardust in infinite space is my only home. But the moment that I hit the stage, thousands of voices are calling my name. And I know in my heart it's been worth it all of the while. And as my albums fly off of the shelves, handing out autograph pics of myself, this life I chose isn't easy, but sure is one heck of a ride. We're back with the Televerse, and this t- it's time for the writing awards. Noel, what did you have for best writing for a comedy? 
some breakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> I, it, it, some of these categories, listeners, will get a little old, but that's because we love these shows. That's why they were yeah. so high on our list. Yeah, no, it's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I mean, just, I there wasn't another show this year that made me laugh so hard and made me want to watch it again and again this year more than Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is always a good sign of a comedy writing is when I just want to watch it again and again and again and just keep laughing. Yeah. Great pick. What did uh, you have? I have uh, some love for the Carmichael show. Which, a good choice. Good yeah, choice. didn't love everything about it. Uh, didn't always love yeah. the performances, but really loved how thoughtful and uh, curious and uh, even-handed the writing on, on the Carmichael show has been. Very excited to see what they do with their second season. How about writing for a drama series? Uh, Wolf Hall, um, just from an adaptation standpoint, but also just from making things really compelling. And I wasn't like super sure on the show after the first episode, but the second episode where Cromwell talks to Henry about his dream and just like basically is able to insert himself without making it really obvious that he's inserting himself as the king's right hand, basically, is just like, that's it. That's all I needed. And so, but no, the show's writing, it was always just really, really spot on. So yeah, Wolf Hall's writing by far and away the best. What did you have? Um, for me, for, for this, it was, it would have been very easy to just pick my highest ranked dramas on my list, but I wanted to sure. be a little bit more interesting. So instead, oh, I, way to call me not interesting. No, 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 Thanks. no, 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 no. <laughs> no. See, but you could, you could pinpoint specific moments. I was having yeah. trouble with that. So instead of just saying all of the rectify or <laughs> all of the leftovers or all of the Americans. I'm going to say all of the justified because I'm really going to miss the feel and the rhythm Good and choice. the sound of yeah, that of show. those words. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and more than a specific line of dialogue, more than a specific moment. Um, that's one where, and there's also the, the issue of structure, which is why Hannibal's not winning this award for me because the, the structure was a bit of an issue for me with the season and the way that the end of the season uh, came together more on that later uh, affected me not picking Hannibal. Yeah. Normally that would be a shoe in for me, but, but for justified, um, there's no show that sounds and feels like Justified, and so much no. of that is the writing. Some love yeah. for that them. How about best writing for a sketch comedy? Uh, it's inside the Amy Schumer. Mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about some of the better sketches um, last week. So, like, Last Fuckable Day, the entirety of Inside Amy Schumer, um, the boy band song. Um, oh, my so, God. Is... So good. Yes. Series contender so good. for best song, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, no, so just, she was really, I know that you were kind of like in and out with the series this year, but for me, it was just really, really consistent and really on point. So yeah, no, Amy Schumer, by far and away, best writing for a sketch. What did you have? And I guess some love to Key and Peele here. Yes. Very yeah. similar thing. Uh, both shows had, had really strong seasons. I had a feeling you, would go, you were going to go inside Amy Schumer, so I wanted to throw some love yeah. over to Key and Peele, but uh yeah, really uh, very consistent in general. Like, I'm not, for a sketch show, for me, I always expect a sketch show to be somewhat hit and miss. But yeah. um, this uh, this season for both shows, uh, the average, I think, was very high. Um, even if it wasn't quite, neither was quite consistent enough uh, to, to get it onto my top 20. But I uh, really had a lot of fun with, with Key and Peel. Um, how about most quotable series? It's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. <laughs> Um, no, um, it's, it, this one was actually pretty hard, but I, I just kept thinking about, sh once I like watch the show, maybe like two more times, I feel like I'm just going to be saying things from this show to people 
constantly, the same way I'm constantly making 30 Rock references. Um, so no, it's, it's Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I just, I'm ready to like really dig in and start quoting it ad nauseum to people. <laughs> and, uh, for me, I just, again, I went with, I went with Hannibal and with Justified mm-hmm. because they're just shows okay. that when I'm, when I'm out of the, the world of the show, I actually have a hard time getting, like quoting something. But as soon as I'm watching it or feeling it at all, uh, everything just, it has this whole other worldly, like, I, I just want to speak in Hannibal, like, like English, French, Spanish, Hannibal, or Justified, same thing. So for me, uh, I went with those two, again, for the same things as I said for writing earlier. There's nothing that sounds or feels quite like those words coming out of your mouth. So how about uh, most memorable line or delivery? We dug cold together, Kate. Me too. We did dig yes. cold together. Yes. <laughs> there, 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 there really wasn't another choice for this, I feel like. For me, anyway. Like, this, I mean, I watch so much TV, I hear so many lines, but as soon as I saw most memorable line delivery, I just wrote, we dug, I typed, we dug cold together. And I was just like, that's it. There's probably something else that was wittier or funnier or just something, but this just summed up everything about Justified. There wasn't like another, there wasn't another line this year. Yeah. Honorable mention to Joan wanting to burn this place down. (laughs) Honorable mention to Hannibal's mic drop. Uh, But we dug Cole. Absolutely. But no honorable mention for spitters and quitters. No, no, I'm sorry. (laughs) Mic drop takes that spot for me. How about how about best monologue? Um, this one actually took a while, but I, it's because I'm so glad that Scandal returned to form this fall because then I had monologues to pick from. <laughs> um, I took Cyrus's um, "I know everything about you" basically speech that he delivers to Fitz after um, Fitz offers him a job back, and so Fitz just dismisses this guy again, and Cyrus is just like. No, I remembered this about you when you were campaigning. I remembered this about you from when you were governor and all this stuff. And he just rattles it off. And uh, Jeff Perry's is just phenomenal at giving these big chunks of Shonda Rhimes monologues in a different way from like um, how Joe Morton's really great at it as well. But it was just this speech in particular stood out because it was such a big moment for Cyrus as well, because he had been on the outs for so long and now he's coming back in and then he's getting disrespected again and he's just like no you're not doing this again and yeah so cyrus's speech and scandal this fall yeah very nice I what went, did you have a, a more uh predictable choice but i think a good one nonetheless which is i killed my boy uh jonathan banks better call saul uh i didn't love the episode as much as the rest of the the world the twitter <laughs> and you know everything. i didn't particularly like the episode either so um but that sequence that monologue as he's building to that line i killed my boy uh, i mean it's, I, I can't argue with that that moment and that that monologue so uh yeah that, that's what got my pick how about writing for a single i'm just gonna say my pick because we've already given a lot of love to it my pick is uh inside amy schumer 12 angry men inside amy, yeah amy no schumer. it's the same thing i mean yeah. Just the just. Do you have reasonable chub? <laughs> is a fantastic line, and just 
the dildo, the dildo. and just all the dildo and it's just all really really great and it was just really really sharp and really really funny and really deeply satirizing and then you remember that this isn't funny at all because this is something that's happens and continues to happen and is probably conversations that people actually have when deciding to cast people in television shows which is why it's not funny and I think that's the reason why it's the best writing for a single episode is because it's hilarious and then you realize you shouldn't be laughing because it's not funny at all. And then you start laughing again because it's so funny. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's both. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, I could not say it better. So next up yeah. is crafting of a season. What did you have? For I this? have two. I have The Leftovers. Okay. Uh, okay. The, the episode nine uh, which was a fantastic episode on its own, but the the revelation at the end of episode nine recontextualizes the entire season, and you realize you've been watching a serialized thing this whole time when you thought you were watching more fractured points of view episodes. Uh, really, it's very... You forget how good Lindelof is at this sort of thing um, until you see that episode, and, and the whole season kind of lines in in a way that the first season, um, for me at least, never really did. Um, and then also Silicon Valley, they did a really good job this season with um, with structuring and building to where they were going to go with with Big Head just <laughs> constantly failing upwards and with the condor leading like the the streaming leading to the thing with the condor leading to uh, their their big break and the guy falling down. I mean, there was uh you know it was it was a really strongly uh, narratively uh, supported season for for Silicon Valley. It was in serious contention for my top twenty though it didn't make the list. Uh, but again, very, very well crafted this season of Silicon Valley. What came to mind for you? Hannibal. No, no, I'm just kidding because no, the crafting of the season was terrible. It was, it was um, we've already, you know, <laughs> criticized no, twice. No. <laughs> um, no, I picked this. I picked Elementary season three for this, um, in no small part because the relapse at the end of um, the season feels like it comes out of like nowhere. Like there's no build up for it. Except when you go back and you realize that he's been slowly dismantling his support system. And then he had, we got a lot of meetings this season, him in meetings, him talking in meetings, which is one of my favorite things about uh, elementary is how it talks about addiction. Um, but he talks about the drip drip of existence and how he just can't deal with it sometimes and just you start to see all those pieces come into play once you start thinking about why he would even think about relapsing and then you go oh you guys were building to this the entire time and i didn't fucking notice until i looked back on it that's really good for a show that's ostensibly just a procedural show about catching people through deductive reasoning no the serialized elements of elementary have always been fairly strong and this particular instance was just really 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 strong so best crafting of a season for me was elementary season three and the way that it puts you in the shoes of the friend who yes. finds out that that Sherlock has relapsed and says oh my god how did I not see all the warning signs because they were all there yes but I didn't want to see it and so I didn't um yeah yeah, excellent, excellent choice. How about uh, our sequence awards, which takes us to action set piece? Like for me, these action set piece, stunts, fight scene, there's a lot of overlap for me. Yes, which makes these yeah. tricky. But what what did you yes. come up with action set piece? 
Well, for action set piece, um, mainly because I'm just so burnt out on cinematic set pieces not having any meaning. It's just like, oh, we gotta explode this thing so we can go get the other thing. And it's just like, who the fuck cares? I don't care anymore. You're just blowing shit up. So I'm going back to my choice for muse, uh, for um, use of a um, pre-existing song with Major taking down the meat cute as a set piece, as a thing. It's not a great fight. It's not a great stunt, but it's a terrific set piece of him reclaiming himself and finding a purpose after being lost for most of most of season one. And it's also just really significant because he's getting revenge on people as well. And there's an emotional toll and an emotional momentum behind why this set piece exists, which is why it's my best set piece is that there's an emotional weight to it. Everything else, like a stunt or a fight scene, can be existing outside of like an emotional moment, but I needed something to hang my hat on for a set piece to have a reason for existing. And Major's taking down in the meat cute met that requirement without a problem. Uh, and I'm going to go the other way and just say Game of Thrones hard home. Because, damn... That's an amazing, amazing action set piece, and there there are stakes. Things are happening. Uh, you know the 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 White Walkers, and you know we really introduce them in a big way, and we see the the uh, the wildlings just getting mowed down. We see oh, the one can't fight children, so she dies, which is a terrible thing that happens in the episode. But it's a very effective moment within this larger set piece. It's just the the visceral energy of it the the direction is fantastic like the production values everything it's an amazing amazing like you said very cinematic set piece and yes we've had a bunch of them but for me that one is heads and shoulders above the other ones that we got this this season as also just for scale that for me was an important distinction between just a fight scene and a, a action set piece, and like the meat cute again. There, like, there's a bunch of little, like little skirmishes or fights on an iZombie, yeah. but that is a sequence. That is a set yeah. piece uh, moment. Um, so yeah, so I went with Hard Home for this. How about stunts? For me, this was like more like a general like show that thumbs up. Good job, guys. Yeah. You're doing the stunts well. Yeah, no, it's it's Daredevil. I mean, their stunt work is just fantastic and really consistently done. And um, they did a nice job of making sure that it seemed varied which is important to do, especially on a show like Daredevil, which puts a lot of emphasis on its stunt work and its fight sequences. So it needs to feel unique um, each week. And so, yeah, Daredevil's stunt work was just really, really great this year. Yeah, I have Daredevil. I also have Banshee. Uh, more yeah. about that in a moment. But um, <laughs> but no, I, I want to be able to give Arrow this prize. Um, but I, I almost think... did just for like... Two episodes that they did this year, but I wasn't. I just couldn't yeah. justify it after all of Daredevil. I couldn't. I just also can't give it to Strike Back, which makes me sad because they mm -hmm. just, for me at least, they had lost the characters so much. Yeah. Um, so, but but Daredevil very much had that for me at least. Yeah. Um, and, and with Matt, I always felt the character through the stunts with the stunts yeah. physicality of that. So so Daredevil and for me Banshee. Um, how how about? fight scene because i had like five or six contenders of epic fight scenes for this year whereas i just had like one for me mainly because fight scenes and action sequences sometimes just leave my brain immediately because they're not i don't watch a lot of shows that have a lot of fight sequences in them mainly because i just tend to find them kind of 
boring after a little while. It just kind of depends. But uh, Daredevil's hallway fight scene, which I'm sure is like everyone's fight scene for a lot of folks that saw it, is just really great, even if it does feel a little bit like old boy sometimes. It's still really, really good. And it's a, such a great example of, like what you were talking about, what Matt does and how he operates. And it's just really, really good. Um, I, Hannibal's fight with Jack or Jack's fight with yeah. Hannibal, I should say, uh, hilarious and wonderful. The the hallway fight, like you said, from Daredevil. Yeah. Uh, the Halloween fight on Blackish was so stylish <laughs> and great. I thought that was that was pretty good. That was good times. And then Banshee, the trailer, and then my winner though for all of these is the car, the Banshee fight around the car, uh, which I disagree. With how that turned out, show, I know you care, show, that I think the other person should have won and the other person should have died, but uh, it was a tremendous fight scene. Um, So tip of the cap to Banshee for that one. Uh, It it takes a lot to best these other really amazing fight scenes, but this year I had to give to Banshee. Uh, How about best dream sequence? Okay, this was easily the hardest thing that you asked me to figure out. Because I couldn't remember a goddamn dream sequence. <laughs> but luckily, Corey Barker, um, who writes at TV.com and is one of my best friends, was just like, dude, it's it's obvious. It's limitless. And he was right. It's limitless. Is all of however Brian imagines what the FBI does as opposed to what they actually do is great. So it's really daydream sequence as opposed to dream sequence. But no, it's... It's Limitless's Brian's head about imagining what the FBI does, him talking to himself, but also just the 22 Jump Street stuff at the end of Headquarters. Just all of it. Yeah, Limitless's dream, daydream sequences when he's on NZT. Fantastic stuff. I, I also considered, by the way, Limitless for most inventive animation for when he's imagining, yes. uh, you know, when, when they're going to, to DC to have meetings and stuff. Yes. Like, yeah, no, it's a great choice. It's a great choice for Dreams Against. Uh, I went with uh, a couple came to mind. Louie, um, when Louie can't sleep or whatever, that, that like nightmare creature keeps jumping up and scaring me. Um, I know it didn't scare other people who I talked to about that episode, but that was, the episode was untitled. Um, but everyone, ah, ugh, every time. Um, but also Mr. Robot, which we get that, that like whole episode that's like, he's high. Did it actually happen? Like that uncertainty was so effectively, um, deployed in that episode. And, uh, so it doesn't always, parts of it do, parts of it don't feel like a dream sequence, but I wanted to give some love to that as well. So, um, yeah. One of the dream sequence is just, I mean, for both of us, I think we just like to imagine that the last, like, half of the Hannibal finale is just a long dream sequence. That's, we're, we're coming so, there. That's, that's yeah, another we're, category. We're, we're going to get to we're it. We're just going to beat up on this finale a bit more. But, yeah, so, no, let's just pretend that was a dream sequence. There we go. Uh, <laughs> it takes us to our season awards. Uh, season with the most spectacular burnout for me, Hannibal, uh, but uh, but I, that's not really fair because it's not the season doesn't burn out for me. It's the last, like, yeah. bit of the finale. It's the last, yeah, so, and I think that's fair. Yeah, so so did you have a, a different pick for this? Yes, um, even though, like, the writing was kind of on the wall in the first, in the 2014 half of the season, um, I still kind of liked it, but um, Arrow Season 3 just spectacularly just imploded and fell apart um, after they came back from the winter hiatus, I mean, it just became a massive mess. And then it just got worse somehow. 
Um, and this was, I, I, I liked the Sarah mystery in the first half of the season a lot, much more than a lot of other people did. I thought it was a really good way for the show to like put a serialized element that was just arced enough to cover them for nine episodes. And then it was just like, here's a villain without motivations. Here's this weird plan that gets all my friends almost killed. But luckily I have a speedster ex machina to save them. And it's just like, no, Oliver, that's a dumbass plan. No, show, this sucked. And so, yeah, no, Arrow had the most spectacular burnout this year. Yeah, no, that's an absolutely fantastic, fantastic choice. Uh, the other one I have um, is not really, doesn't really qualify, but the Heroes premiere got made me think that maybe <laughs> it would, like, have something entertaining about it. I'm sorry I'm laughing at No, you. that is the correct response. There are, like, a couple shows, and Quantico is another one where it's like, this is yes. not good, but, like, I feel like that could be, it, it, I could like this show. Like, the, yeah. And then just, like, almost immediately, it's like, no, no, shame on you for having any hope. Uh, no. So so those I, that's a slightly different category. Yeah, but sure. I felt like I should mention it there. And and both of those choices just get shamed next to the correct choice of Arrow Season 3. Um, but yeah, that, those are the ones I, I came up with. How about Season with the Most Spectacular, Slow Build? I've already talked about this with Elementary and Sherlock's Relapse. I, that's um, my how, pick. Yeah, it was so subtle and just, again, so slow that you it didn't even seem like it was happening. And it happened. So yeah, no, totally my pick was his Relapse. I also have review. I also have the leftovers, which I talked about um, the crafting of the season. You know, so it's a similar kind of idea. But no, elementary for me was was it was the, exactly that that uh, building to that moment of the choice um, in that like the train like on the railway there. Uh, yeah, yeah, spectacular. How about uh, finale payoff, which for me was also elementary. Really? Yeah, no, I can see that as a payoff. I went with the, I love the Flash's season one finale a lot. I love it a lot. And his decision to leave his mom, to not let her, not like save his mom, was the culmination of everything that season had been about. Like it was getting her murder, finding out that he could save her by traveling back in time, and then he doesn't do it. And it was just fantastic because he realized his life was actually pretty good despite the fact that his dad was in jail and was in prison and that his mom was dead. That he had made this like new life for himself because of this, not in spite of this. And I thought that was just a really big moment for Barry. And also we got all the finale of Barry and Joe talks and then he calls Joe dad. <gasps> The feels. The feels. The feels! <laughs> so yeah, no, Fast Enough um, uh, payoff was just terrific for me. And I, I, I just really love that episode in general. But that was a great payoff for that season, I felt like. Yeah, great pick. How about most underappreciated finale? Is it a similar pick? Uh, no. Um, I, if, we were, if we were both on TV.com, I would say yes, because most of the Flash commenters didn't like Fast Enough, which I didn't understand. Um, but I went with Blood Must Have Blood Part 2 from The 100 because I feel like not enough people really responded to that episode and really got into it. And it's just such a great episode, I think. And a really great culmination of a lot of other stuff that that season had done. So, yeah, I mean, second part of that would be Sherlock's Relapse simply because no one talks about Elementary at all. 
But um, yeah, so the hundred and Sherlock's relapse, I feel like tied for tie for that really nicely. I have girls because I thought girls had a fantastic, fantastic finale, um, and and really the end part of the season was very strong for me. But I uh, I loved that season finale for girls. And I feel like at the end of the year here, very few people are remembering girls on their list. I didn't have it on my list because there were some structural problems with the season for me. But, um, but watching each of the, the, the the titular girls, the women of the show make steps in their lives. And I'm sure starting the next season, some of those will have worked out. Some of those will have backfired, but, but watching, watching Hannah, turned down Adam over the incubator with the baby and the strength that it took for her to make that choice was really affecting for me. Watching uh, uh, Jessa move forward in her life, watching uh, uh, Shosh to make the decision to move to Japan and Marnie uh, finally ditching her loser uh, Desi <laughs> boyfriend, Desi and, and go out on stage by herself and, and, have that strength of character to do that like i got so invested uh i I was so invested in those moments of progress and uh and the small steps forward that we see these characters take and because again like i talked about previously with Mad Men and and other shows that where progress is easy or progress is not celebrated like the, the like it's like the idea that the interesting thing is to watch people fail like that's or be self-destructive. That's the only interesting way to tell stories. Uh, there's a sense in, especially in prestige television, that that's is where the story always ends up going. So to have an optimistic finale to a show that so frequently features these characters screwing up was very, uh, uh, it was very affecting, and I thought it was a really great finale. Not just because they did things that I liked, but also because of the execution of that, and because it was so much more meaningful in the context of what the show usually is. So, so yeah, girls, definitely for me, it was girls. Now, uh, how about most overappreciated finale? Not between the two of us, but between former co-hosts of yours and (laughs) a lot of people in general, uh, the Hannibal season three finale is just way overappreciated. And I mean, you know it, I know it. People who are listening to us may disagree with us, but it's just like, no, (laughs) <laughs> it didn't really work nearly as well as it should have worked. And you you feel more strongly about it than I do. But it's still one of those things where this just didn't work as well. They didn't put in the time for it. And it didn't make sense. And this is one where I, I watched it. Uh, I watched it again uh, with a couple of the people who, unprompted by me, had the exact same reaction I did. Uh, wrote my review, my lengthy review, and my score analysis then went online and saw other people's reviews and went but wait what but but we watched yeah did we watch the same but but did we watch the same episode because clearly i don't understand this is yeah. not yeah exactly so um yes this is the for us at least the correct choice yeah. for overappreciated finale yeah, totally now we'll take a break and come back with our series awards when we're together I feel so grand My heart goes tippity-tap-tap-tap When I hold your hand But I know there's another guy You fancy more So, even though I'm not the one you adore Why not? 
settle for me, darling. Just settle for me. I think you'll have to agree. We make quite a pair. I know I'm only second place in this game, but like two percent milk or seitan beef, I almost taste the same. So won't you settle for me? Come on and settle for me. Say yes or no before I choke on all this swallowed pride. I have no problem being picked out from the bottom if he's your broken condom. I'm Plan B. So lower those expectations and settle for me. Am I okay with this? Totally. Josh, I wanna look good for you tonight, so I'm gonna get in touch with my feminine side. Oh, it's the sexy getting ready song, the sexy getting ready song. Grabbing and plucking, brushing and rubbing, the sexy getting ready song. Hello, Televerse listeners. My name is Dipayan Singh Gupta, and I am the managing TV editor over at popoptic.com. And I am here today to present the award for the best use of Tova Felcher in a TV series in 2015 for the Smorgasborgi. Now, Tova Felcher appeared in three different TV shows this year, each of them wildly disparate from each other. Uh, she first popped up on The Walking Dead in the previous season that aired early this year. Uh, as Deanna, the leader of the Alexandria community, before uh, later on this year popping up in Flesh and Bone, and then on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, first in a voiceover role, then um, over FaceTime, and then finally popping up uh, on screen uh, in the flesh as Mrs. Bunch. On Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the winner of this prize, Tova Felcher really gets to display her range, uh, and manages, and so in the process, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend does something that neither of the shows neither of the other two shows were able to do, is make Tova Felsha, uh, make a role given to Tova Felsha feel like it's a role that was created and with her in mind, or one that she was perfectly cast for, as opposed to the roles of Deanna and Ivana, both of which feel very interchangeable, as if Tova Felsha was there at the right place at the right time and got those roles, but anyone else could have stepped into those roles. Uh, the role of Deanna in particular feels very much like something that... Uh, you know, Margot Martindale could have stepped in, and and the role of Ivana on Flesh and Bone is is um, really such a throwaway role that it could have been played by anybody, which is not a mistake that Crazy Ex-Girlfriend makes with Tova Felcher. Uh, first, she appears via FaceTime. Right in the pilot, she comes in you know, with the you know with the line about telling Rebecca that, oh well, I hope this is not another one of your breakdowns like what you had in college. You didn't even break the skin, and you made uh, you wasted everyone's time, and there was just. A great way to bring in the character and uh, Toa Felcher, just once she appears on screen on, in the actual mid-season finale, she comes in with a fantastic solo uh, of Where's the Bathroom that's just absolutely show-stopping in, in how it comes in and just, uh, you know, announces her presence in a way that no, none of the other two shows were able to do. And it's the first it's the first appearance on her 2015 TV circuit that actually feels like... Uh, you know, it actually makes the audience want to go and find out more about Tova Felcher, what else she's done, what else she's capable of. And the fact that she's a Broadway star really does not come as a surprise after seeing her on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, whereas after seeing her on The Walking Dead and on Flesh and Bone, it comes as very much a surprise. So, in short, the award for Best Use of Tova Felcher in 2015 goes to 
it's a CW's Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, where she plays Mrs. Bunch, mother to Rebecca Bunch. Thanks for listening. Where's the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? I need to use the bathroom. Tell me that you have a bathroom in this hovel you call home. I don't know which was bumpy or the plane ride or the taxi. All these freeways are a nightmare. Where's my purse? I need my coat. Bye. that I sent you. If you're not gonna use it, I'll return it to the store. God, I give you everything and still you just want more, 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 more. Daddy's little girl, princess of my world. I never knew a beauty like this before. So clever and cute. An angel with an attitude I want her all mine all of the time I know songs like this can come off weird But there's nothing weird about helping daddy trim his beard Dads do that Cause I love my dog Uh, and that's right, guys. We're still going. We're still going here at the television. You say uh, we're still going, but it's only been like ninety minutes. This is nothing for the two of us. <laughs> this is that's very, very, very true. Uh, famous last words. We'll see how things continue here with our series awards. So, uh, Noel, what is your best new comedy that wasn't already in your top twenty? The Grinder. But what if it wasn't? But no, it's The Grinder. Um, <laughs> I just I. I the pilot for this is kind of bleh, but um, the show just progressively got more interesting for me just because I really love what Rob Lowe and uh, Fred Savage are doing week in and week out. And then the show's weird meta-ness towards the end of this first half with um, the Grinder New Orleans and Timothy Elephant coming in and just it got really sharp and really funny. But the other thing I really like about the Grinder is that undercurrent of melancholy that pervades Rob Lowe's character as he tries to adjust to being normal and how he can't quite grapple with not being on a TV show, so he has to fit everything into a TV show framework. And there's something just really sad about that that the show pokes at, but hasn't fully explored yet. And I'm hoping now that they've done the Grinder New Orleans 
two part basically that we start to deal with him having to live in Idaho of all places now. So what was your choice for a new comedy this year that wasn't on your list? Uh, Fresh off the boat. Okay. Which was on your list. Uh, And I thought it was just really tremendous and didn't make my list, but I mean, it's hard to think of the last time I, uh, a network comedy came out of the gate so distinct and so um, so confident. It was such an already settled cast. Even even the kids. Normally, there's a bit of a curve, especially with kids, uh, where either they start out really strong and then, and then you get tired of their precociousness yeah. after about you know ten episodes, or it's the other way where it takes them a while to really find the best way to use the kids. Um, but no, I mean, it's such a strong first season and beginning of the second season for fresh off the boat which is why it was on your list um how about best new drama that wasn't on your your uh this one was really easy because this is also basically the fall's new best show was limitless i'm just the best Mm -hmm. new drama this year uh really really sharp really funny really aesthetically interesting especially i hate saying especially for a cbs procedural because the good wife is also really aesthetically interesting but it's a show that you wouldn't expect to be on CBS. It's something that you'd expect to be. Basically, I would expect Limitless on ABC with its aesthetic sometimes sooner than I expected to be on CBS. So yeah, no, Limitless was easily the best new drama this year. For me, I had Better Call Saul, okay. which I, I, I thought was fantastic. Really liked. Uh, Limitless was in consideration for me because I, I have... That's one of those shows that is... It doesn't. It passes the DVR test with flying colors. Yes. It is off my DVR almost immediately after it airs. But no, it, for me, it was it was Better Call Saul this year. Um, yeah, a lot of uh, uh, again, the, the like I said earlier, the the assurance and the, and the confidence with which the creative team was able to come together after already having worked together on on Breaking Bad, uh, and to just give such style to that show from the from the first episode all the way through to the finale. Um, very excited for Better, Better Call Saul season two. How about uh, what show was your most improved? I actually had two. Um, Scandal figured itself out in the fall part of 2015 um, by giving Olivia and Fitz exactly what they wanted. And it turned out that what they wanted was absolutely horrible, which we all already knew. <laughs> but no, it was terrible and it was insanely watchable. The show just rediscovered itself by giving Olivia and Fitz exactly what they wanted. Um, And it just became suddenly way more interesting. Um, Kerry Washington found her groove again, basically. And so did Tony Goodwin. Um, They were just both Goldwyn. They were both just really, really great this year. And the writing just figured itself out again after the quagmire that was the spring part of the year. And then, how many, did you have more than one, or? Yeah, I've got a few as well. Now, but as a person who just hates and is completely not interested in the Olivia Fitz thing, uh, should I tune back in? Because I I just have such uh, such a lack of respect for um, Fitz and that coupling that I can't even enjoy Olivia because of how hung up she is on Fitz. What like this season? Watching it implode is amazing. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just this... I'll give you, like, a really great meta moment where I think the show is, like, aware of the fact that people have been waiting to watch this collapse somehow, is that um, Melly and Cyrus get together on the couch and eat candy and popcorn to watch press conferences of all of this collapsing around them. 
and mm-hmm. it's just really fascinating. And I would I would tune in because I'm not invest. I don't I don't like that pairing at all. I don't understand it at all, and I don't understand what particularly. I don't understand what she sees in him because he's clearly adult and the world's yeah. worst human being. Um, but watching it just collapse and watching Olivia deal with the fact that she has to be the first lady without actually being the first lady is amazing. It's really, really great. I would, I would tune in and see how you feel about it. Okay. I will do that. I will do that when I next have some time, which who knows, who knows how that'll happen, but hopefully I will. Uh, Cause I would just like to be in the conversation with that. Yeah. Cause it's very interesting. Anyway, so the ones I have for this are, are two that I've already mentioned in, in passing um, Bojack uh, Horseman and Rick and Morty both had strong first seasons that, that really crescendoed to uh, them for me, at least finding their voice and finding their groove at the end of their first seasons and then picked up their second seasons right where they left off and only continued to grow from there. But the real pick for me um, is justified just because season five was so much worse. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's really my, my pick for most improved. You had another pick? I did. Um, I talked about this on the top 20 list, um, but it's Halt and Catch Fire just totally recalibrating itself and going, oh, these were the two characters we should have focused on the entire time. You were right, critics. No. Um, <laughs> but no, I like the show rejiggered itself really really nicely into a show that i really didn't want to watch ever again and then i watched the season two premiere and just went oh wow you guys just figured it out over the break kudos yeah so yeah nice yeah yeah see i can't even pick that because i watched the first few episodes of the first season i went nope uh, and jumped into the second season, so Which, I'm glad you're uh, much smarter than I am, Kate. I've always said so. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I I just uh, learned to let go of completionism. It was a good moment for me this year mm-hmm. or last year when that happened. How about biggest drop in quality? Is this just basically the Good Wife Award? Yes, yes, it is. I mean, it's just God. What the fuck happened to that show, Kate? Yeah, we were talking about this off mic. We're just ready for it to be done. Yeah. Remember, like, last year, when it, or even two years ago, when it was, like, one of the best shows out there, and we couldn't stop singing its praises? And now we're just yeah. like, oh, please go away, show. Please go away. Just, I like, mean, with a little bit of your head held up? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's kind of, I mean, it's been entirely, like, this year, too. Like, I mean, I kind of liked what they were doing with the Carrie stuff at the beginning of season six. I thought it was really interesting and that it was going to give Carrie some really good stuff. And it did, but then everything that progressed out from that just was awful. I couldn't deal with, like, the Kalinda send-off is terrible. Both Kalinda send-offs are terrible. Um, the collapse of Alicia having anyone else to talk to other than Grace and Eli is just bizarre and weird and a real detriment to the show's ensemble. And just, it's not telling super interesting stories um season seven has been much better than the back half of season six with its messed up election storyline that never really congealed into anything that made sense um but it's become kind of a grab bag of remember wasn't this good yeah this was good let's put this in an episode oh wasn't that tone something we really liked once yeah let's do that again and then oh right 
we should play the voicemail card. People love things from there. And it's just like, no, I'm done. And I would be done, but I'm, I, I want this to be it. So I'm, I'm sticking around, but so help me, Kate, if there's a season eight, I'm not sure I'm going to watch it. Yeah, that's, that's tough. Yeah, that's tough. Okay, how about let's let's cleanse the palate. What's the most underrated series for you? Consistently, it's the middle. Um, it's just so funny. Has been for seven seasons now, and I can't get enough of this show. And not enough people watch it. And I think it's because it's the ABC ABC Wednesday eight o'clock slot, and there's a lot of other stuff to watch. But you should watch the middle. It's really good. And I've told you, I'm. I've told you about the middle as well, and just it's something that I feel like a lot more people should watch and appreciate because it's a really well thought out show. It's really funny and it's really sweet, but without being saccharine. Um, the my pick for this, uh, well, n- enough people never watch Justified. Enough people never watch Present Tense. Always Sunny. There's a few other picks that come to mind, but my pick for this is The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore. Good choice. Uh, Good choice. That we that we talked about last week. Um, I really think they're doing some great work over there. Yeah. And uh, you know, every time there's a joke about how white the the late night lineup is, the landscape is, I want to like raise my hand and say, you guys know that there's a not white uh, late night block over on on Comedy Central that you're just not watching and talking about. It's there. But you're just not talking about it. So maybe if we talked about it more and saw the good work that Larry Wilmore and his writers are doing over there, there would be more of it. Um, that's a crazy notion. Anyways, I, I I do think it's a very underrated show. So yeah. that is my pick. How about uh, most overrated series or the Fargo Award? It's the Fargo Award! Yay! Uh, different Yay. from the Anne Veal Award for me anyway. I don't know if it's different for you, but um, Fargo is a just, I mean, we talked about it on the podcast uh, like a month and a half ago or so. Um, but it's just a show that doesn't emotionally resonate with me. It's a show that I appreciate aesthetically and from an acting standpoint. But the elements never congeal into something that is, for me, really meaningful. And I find the tone of the show, like I explained last time we discussed it at length, just kind of smug. And I can't deal with that and i still have like four or five episodes from the end of the season sitting there and i honestly don't know if i'm gonna watch it why was fargo overrated for you um for reasons i've already talked about i don't really want to beat the dead horse much more than we already have um but just again like i said because i don't haven't connected to the characters as much um as i need to to really care about a show and when i read these impassioned reviews and these these uh just really loving tweets and and facebook things from people i just kind of go um but huh but when what why do you feel about these characters yeah because i because i don't most of the time every now and again there's an episode where i do and then i then i i'm on board with everybody else but um yeah that's the one where it's just like and having it, it's such a consensus show. I think that's also part of it. In the age of peak TV, it's it's one of the few shows that everybody has seen. So even if everybody's only like middlingly positive on it, we can all yeah. sort of agree. Yeah. Um, but that's how Fargo ends up number one on the Hitfix critic poll by a long margin. Like 200, 400 points. Like, and yeah. it's because everyone watched it. Yeah. But it's also just like, 
But why were we watching it? Exactly. Please tell me. <laughs> Other than the fact that it looks gorgeous yeah. and is really well executed in me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyways, so that that's that's my pick for that. Seriously, guys, why aren't you watching Fill in the Blank? I am angry about this show and so angry that it's it was canceled, so you can't watch it. And I'm blaming everyone. I'm blaming all of you for not getting Christella a second season. Because it was fantastic. Especially in the back half of this season. Uh, it was really, really funny. There was some really great stuff about race and about prejudice. And it was just... It was so funny. It had a really great ensemble. And then it got cancelled so that we could have Dr. Ken. I know that's not true, but it's what it felt like. And Dr. Ken's... I don't know if Dr. Ken got any better after the pilot. I didn't find out, but... I'm still bitter about the fact that Cristela's canceled. And that's basically my why why weren't you watching Cristela? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great pick. And I wasn't one of the people that wasn't watching Cristela. Um and I again, fantastic choice for a DVD shelf that hopefully will come up here yeah. uh in the not too distant future. My pick for this, see the trouble with this category for me is I know why people aren't watching a lot of my favorite shows. I don't necessarily agree with those reasons, but I know why people don't watch Review and yeah. Rectify and Bojack Horseman and, like, all of the shows that are on my list that are tinily viewed, yeah. like, the Americans. The one that I get most annoyed that people aren't watching because it should be a runaway breakthrough hit that anybody who watches can enjoy is Jane the Virgin. Why isn't everyone watching Jane the Virgin? I think we can get over the fact that virgin is a word that is in the title. Or just that the premise was weird and bad. And then you watch it and you go, oh, this was actually really good. Because everyone heard that premise and went, what? No. Yeah, no, people should be watching Jane the Virgin. <laughs> like, I know why people aren't watching Steven Universe and Adventure Time and Gravity Falls. It's a stupid reason, but yeah, I know no, why they're not watching reason, yeah. it. But if you just watch Jane the Virgin, you will enjoy yourself. Yes. You will, you will have a great time. Um, there's no reason to not watch that, uh, good or bad. Uh, so that, that was my pick for that. How about uh, what is your, seriously, why am I not watching? This was super easy. Super easy. Easiest thing on the entire list. Why am I not watching You're the Worst, Kate? What is wrong with me that I'm not watching You're the Worst? <laughs> Clearly, I'm the worst. Because <laughs> I'm not watching it. But, I mean, it was something people told me to catch up on before season two started. And I was just like, oh, yeah, no, it'll be fine. I mean, it's an FFX show. It'll be okay. I know you guys love it. But, no, it's okay. I've got all this other stuff I need to watch. And then this season rolled around and I just went, ah, oh, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> fuck. But so I still haven't watched it. But seriously, why am I not watching You're the Worst, Kate? <laughs> yeah. Now, for me, I've got a few. Uh, the ones that all the critic friends will be telling me, why am I not watching Please Like Me? Um, the thing is, I have a reason. That's because I watched the beginning of the first season and it didn't connect with me. But everybody I know who's seen it says it's amazing and one of the best underwatched gems out there, especially by the second, third season. So that's one pick for that. Also, um, any of the Shonda shows that everybody loves and everybody talks about, um, I'm not watching any of those. Or, or Orange is the New Black Season 3, which I liked the season premiere. I just haven't gotten back to it. 
Um, those are the ones that, that come to mind as to like, I don't have a good reason why I haven't at least checked out or watched these shows that get so much buzz, uh, either in the critical community or the popular community. Like, why haven't I watched the, the, the second season of Empire after really liking the first four or five episodes? I do not have a good reason why I have not watched more of it. Um, those are the ones that come to mind. Um, I watch a lot of TV. You do. I give a, I give a lot of things a chance. I watch a lot of shows that other people uh, don't uh, don't make time for for very legitimate, healthy reasons. Um, but those are the ones that that come to mind, and those are the ones that had me going. Ah, damn it! When it came to make my list. Mm-hmm. So, how about uh, the Anvil Award for her? I mean, it would have been really easy to have been Fargo, but it was actually it's Mr. Robot for me because I. I don't get it. It's Fight Club. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, no, I, I do get it in a number of ways. Like, I mean, Rami Malek's really great. Uh, the aesthetics of the show um, are also really great. But just from a structural plotting standpoint, I don't get why we latched onto this show so hard. Um, in part because I was just like, well, obviously he's his dad. Uh, why are we? Why are we not having a discussion? And no show being kind of cute and saying, "Well, you knew this all along, didn't you?" Isn't going to make it okay. <laughs> I don't feel flattered. I just feel insulted that you waited eight episodes to tell me that. And I just and then like lots of other little twists about like, oh, it's his sister. Wait, what? What? And she never thought to. No, you don't get to be, you don't get to do that, basically, is how I felt about it. And it was just like, this is an unreliable narrator to a point of not being unreliable, but you just withholding information from me so you can have a twist. And I just, I don't get it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. What did you have for this? I have two picks that you will not be surprised by. Uh, The Hundred and I Zombie. Okay. Uh, We've already talked about them. Yeah. Uh, where it's like, I wish I felt as passionately and strongly as as the show about the show as so many people do. I wish I that I could be one of those people leading the charge for the shows. The other one I have is Banshee, because I've seen all of Banshee, mm-hmm. and the other people that I know who have seen all of are Banshee are so obsessed with it. They love it. They they really think it's one of the best shows on television. And for me, it's like. It is a show on television. TV.com commenters won't shut up about it. And I'm just, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it. But I'm just like, guys, there there has to be something else that you really, really love. But no, it's apparently just Banshee. Not dismissing that you love Banshee, but I'm just like, something else. <laughs> yeah, because it's, and again, it's like, I've, I've seen it. Yeah. If, when you talk with people about it, I'm like, okay, yeah. I mean, I get where you're coming from with, with this. Um but but you know that all these other shows are doing similar things but better uh with aside from a few spheres that banshee gets that other don't like the stunts and the the action that we've already talked about but um but yeah that's the one i just don't i just just don't i wish i felt as strongly about say the the shootout at the 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 caddy um that we had earlier this season that set piece i'm sure for some people was like of course that has to be your action set piece um but I just don't. I just don't. So that's my Anvil Award. How about what's, uh, I mean, again, boring Fargo. Yeah, it's Fargo. Me. What's your yeah, ho- no, it's Fargo. homework show? Yeah, Fargo's a homework that's... show. 
it's 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 where it's like I see what you're doing. It's you're doing it really well. I just am not yeah. invested. And also, I feel like I'm having to do work to get through you, which is the worst thing. And yeah, so it's Fargo. What was your ringer award? The the show I should have given up yeah. on is Arrow season yes! three. Yes, it was Arrow season three. There wasn't another answer. <laughs> I should have just jumped to season four. Yeah, And, and at yeah, least you definitely. had that option. I was getting paid to write about it. So <laughs> I wanted to give up on it. And I didn't because I'm a greedy asshole and a masochist. <laughs> now, this year, we have a lot of strong choices for shows that are gone but not forgotten. Shows that ended this year um but that we will miss uh which will which will we miss the most um what what did you go with it's hannibal i'm just gonna miss that darn unicorn of a tv series so much i mean i know i just railed against christella and no one watching christella but that was a season one show that no one was watching hannibal season three it had its chance and we got three seasons of hannibal people we could shot until we were blue in the face and no one was going to watch it anymore so I don't feel as angry about its cancellation. I'm just sad that I'm not going to have it anymore. And I, it's even worse because it was just like, oh, Amazon may have wanted it, but Brian Fuller was going to be really busy with American Gods. Sorry, guys. Oh, I'm sad now. You talk. <laughs> okay. Well, the thing that keeps that from being a slam dunk choice for me is the fact that I don't know that I want more after where I just it ended in my head or in realsies. I just kind of wanted to see how they wrote themselves out of that corner. Okay. So I'm I'm but I just the idea of that show not being on TV just makes me just really sad and that 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 it pushes boundaries and that it had this really epic male relationship at its core that isn't there anymore. Um the most of the shows I, I and I absolutely agree, and I'm gonna miss watching it, but I can revisit it. So that's why for me, these these were a lot of shows that ended, with the exception of Married for me, or a lot of shows that ended that I was like, they had really good runs, and you know, at least they went out well. I, I thought a lot of shows had really strong final seasons yeah. this year. We had Justified, we had Parks and Rec, we had Mad Men, uh, we had Hannibal. Um, so the other one for me is Key and Peele, yeah, and. If they weren't as inspired and they were ready to to end the show, the show should end. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to miss having it on my TV. Sure. Every so week. Bastard Executioner didn't make your list? No, shockingly <laughs> enough, it was just outside that top six. At least it ended <laughs> on his own terms, supposedly. That's the most important thing that has ever been a thing. Of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> So now we're going to take a break, listeners, and come back with one more segment with the rest of our moments and miscellaneous category. Uh, so so let's reminisce about these shows that we will miss so very much um, as we go into our last break. We'll be right back. I once met a lass so fine. She was drunk on barley wine. I'd been to sea for months or three. I knew I could make her mine. Alas was past consent, so it was off with her we went. And we threw her in bed and rested her head and we left, cause that's what gentlemen do. A woman has a right to a drink or two with a furry and above what you will do. We say yo ho, but 
While Noel and I were not big fans of Fargo this season, we were definitely in the minority. And here's one of my recent guest co-hosts, Max Budstein from Pop Optic and several other places with his thoughts on the series and why it is one of his absolute favorites of 2015. As much as I enjoyed the first season of Fargo, I couldn't help having mixed feelings. I enjoyed the chance to revisit the world of the movie, yet ultimately felt like the show was hamstrung by its connections with the Coen Brothers' 1996 classic film. But whereas showrunner Noah Hawley treats the movie like a blueprint in season one, he uses it as a stylistic inspiration in season two, copying the Coen's gallows humor and distinct sets of setting while using them to create a series wholly its own. Holly introduces an ensemble cast so rich that major characters could drop out for entire episodes without the show feeling empty or lacking in the slightest. He also ups both the tragedy and the humor. Some of the season's moments richest in pathos are also among its funniest. Every episode of season two is an embarrassment of riches for writing, acting, mise-en-scene, and music. Besides standing out individually, those elements congeal into a remarkable season of TV, dwarfing all others in 2015. Follow me to a place I know where there ain't no pain, ain't no sorrow. It's a place to be if your skin is brown. I'm talking about Negro Town. Negro Town? What, like Atlanta? <laughs> Almost. Now be quiet while I sing. Negro Town, you can walk the street without getting stopped, harassed, or beat. And there's always a cab when you need to get around. And they always stop in Negro Town. I think I'm in again. It's like a utopia for black people. Yeah! But seriously, shut the fuck up! You won't get followed when you try to shop. You can't wear, wear your hoodie and not get shot. White folks to cross the street in fear. No trigger-happy cops or scared cashiers. That loan application can't get turned down. You always approved in Negro Town. This is amazing. We're back for our final segment here on the Televerse 2015 Smorgasbordy. So many 
insane uh, moments. So many exciting and thrilling and devastating and lots of other adjective moments this year in television. Noel, what was We've already talked scene? about it, so I'm not going to say too much about it, but it was Alana and Margot's kaleidoscopic sex. I mean, I, I, I was genuinely worried because that's how that scene's... That's how they come back from the commercial break. And I thought I had taken some acid. And <laughs> I was really concerned about my health for a moment. But no, so I, 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 I think that scene's just great. And it just made me go, yeah, man. So yeah, no, um, definitely my trippiest scene. Yeah, I think that's the correct choice. <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to Weird Mageddon and bouncing between the different yes. weird bubbles. Good choice. Which, I, which was, again, so fun and distinct the way that they managed. To and the live action different. part was my favorite. That was super cool. So How about cool. what is your WTF moment of the year? I have a best and worst for this, actually. Yay! Okay, it. so my best w, WTF moment was the reveal of C.C. Drake as A on Pretty Little Liars. Because, because it that doesn't, doesn't mean anything to me. No, um, no. So I would explain it, but it it wouldn't make any sense. Because <laughs> Pretty Little Liars doesn't make any sense. But it was one of those things, and this is like basically the reveal plus the entire episode, which fills in and explains how C.C. became A. And it's just so dumb that I just went, sure, why not? It doesn't make any sense. And then you try to make it make sense by coloring in things. I'm just mm -hmm. like, yeah, sure, let's do that. All right, I'll roll with this. It, it's, it's just, it's total what the fuck. But I still loved it in just the fact that the show, after like five and a half seasons of buildup, went... Oh, yeah, it's Cece. And you're just like, Cece? Okay, sure. And uh, did you have multiple ones for this? or I have uh, a show for this. Okay. Which is Fortitude. Just, like, all of Fortitude. All, I only if... watched, like, two episodes of Fortitude and never got back to it. Because I, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I don't get the channel in my cable package, so I had to buy it on Amazon, which is why I didn't mm. keep up with it. Yeah. They, the, the lovely people... Uh, at, at the show and at Pivot uh, got sent us screeners so we could okay. review it at, at Pop Optic this year and so I was able to, to watch it that way and if I have to pick a particular WTF moment the the fork there's like with the fork and the stabbing and the, the opening up of the cavity and the vomiting the clear with the uh, like what it, what even is like what is happening right now that like broke my brain and of course because we had screeners I saw it like three days before anybody else. And also I reviewed it for the AV club. So I, I watched a bunch of episodes before anybody had even seen the show. And then I watched was, was a little bit ahead. Uh, so I would just be like, who do I know who's reviewing the show like every week? Cause I need to message them. And so we can go, what did I just see? What just happened? <laughs> so um, it's easy for fortitude to get forgotten here at the end of the year, but like when I was looking over the list, I was like, "Well, WTF moment? That is just the category that just is fortitude, because uh, holy crap, mastodons and the snow and like the and the bees, the wasps are like out of the oh man, like insane, 
insane the stuff that they were doing uh, this season on Fortitude. Uh, for most of the season, they sustained it way better than they should have been able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, WTF moment. Did you have another pick? I had the worst WTF moment, which is... God, we're just going to keep beating up on this. Is the closing moments of the Hannibal <laughs> It's just like, what the fuck, show? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How about uh, gut, gut Punch? I've got several for this. Uh, this was really hard for me because I couldn't remember a Gut Punch, so I'm looking forward to your list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went with Lex's betrayal of Clark and the 100 at the end of the season mm-hmm. just because, I mean, we should have seen it coming, and I thought that they had just established their relationship and their bond, and then, no, no, Lexa just went, no, I'm going to leave now with my army. Have fun! And it's just like, oh, oh, man. I feel broken a little bit. Um, so what did you have for your uh, gut punch moments? For I have a, a pick from the 100 as well, okay. which is all those kids. Oh, God, yeah. To, are we killing the children? Yeah. Uh, points to the 100 for not backing down from that. Uh, similarly, there's a moment in, um, at, at the end of the second episode of Man of the High Castle where you're like, oh yeah, they did just gas chamber those kids. That's the thing that we just did. We're willing to do that on this show. Uh, but I also have, uh, we've already said Sherlock using from elementary. We've given so much love to elementary here, but I also have, um, the man seeking woman, the tea party with the math. Every woman who wants to have kids someday who is, as I'm 30, I turned 30 this year, uh, who is approaching that, like, age sphere, has had that internal thought process or been, you know, had a delightful conversation like that. She probably didn't want to, but been forced into that conversation with someone. Uh, so that, that just, like, destroying, just crumbling uh, of Liz in that tea scene was like, yep, that is a thing that has not been really captured on TV as beautifully and as, as just like soul crushingly as you just did. And then the other one, Mateo, baby Mateo getting kidnapped. Just like, no, show, no, no, you're not allowed to do this. What are you doing? Undo it right now. <laughs> and three months later, they did. But uh, yeah, those, those that was are, my other one. I really like the Mateo choice a lot. And I, I, I like the personal touch of the um, your man-seeking woman choice a lot as well. Mainly because that that was that from the Lizcentric episode? Yes. Which yeah. was like the only episode of that show that I really, really liked. The only mm-hmm. one. And um, yeah, no, really good choice. Now, one of the categories I had a lot of trouble with this year, in the previous years has been easy, but this year it was hard, was the Dusty Dusty Him Sad Award for scene that made you cry. Um, because all of the scenes that made me cry the most were not sad scenes. Yes, and my my, there was only one choice for this, and we kind of already talked about it. But it's anytime Barry and Joe or Barry and Henry have a talk with one another on the Flash, because <laughs> I just start crying every time they have a talk, especially especially when Jesse L. Martin does the thing with his eyes where you see the tears, but they won't leave his eyes somehow. And you're just like, how is he doing that? It's making my tears just leave my eyes. Magic, magic anti-grav. Yes, it's something. Basically. But no, like any of those scenes with a special mention to the previously mentioned when Barry calls him dad. And I'm just like, oh, type of thing. So yeah, no, like anytime they have a chat, I'm pretty much about to cry. Mm hmm. 
Uh, I have Betty, Betty's Cancer on okay. Mad Men. The way they handled that was, uh, and the way that they had the character respond to that um, by committing even further to going back to school uh, was, I thought, beautiful. And the way that just that arc, that like couple episodes, um, really great stuff there. And on the ac- the other side of the spectrum, uh, the baptism scene, the letter on Jane yeah. the Virgin. Just, like, the different generations, and I'm, just like, making me dusty just even thinking about it. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was, that was, it was, like, the, there, I didn't have the ugly cry moment. I, I'm sure I did. I'm just not remembering it. You've repressed but that was just, the ugly cry. I've repressed the ugly cry. That was the, just, like, they just keep coming, and I'm just, like, smiling and crying yeah. and crying and smiling. Um, thank you, Jane the Virgin, for giving, giving me that moment to counteract a little bit the gut punch that you gave me with Mateo, baby Mateo. How about uh, Fuck Yeah Moment of the Year, a.k.a. Garnet Song? Yes, it is Garnet Song, because it is Fuck Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's stronger than you. It's totally stronger than you. Um, it's, it's so good, and it's so welcomed, and it came at just the right moment, because we had met, we had met Sapphire and Ruby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, yeah. That, that wins the year. The other one that I have that is in very close uh, runner-up status is Peggy strutting her stuff into her office with the, the cigarette and she's got the glasses and she's got the painting of the, the octopus porn painting. <laughs> A nod to Burt Cooper um, here after, you know, one of the best moments in television of the past 20 years of his send-off uh, the previous year. Um, just, just so satisfying. Just, like beautifully wonderfully satisfying fuck yeah peggy olsen's gonna take the world by storm so that's another really satisfying moment of the year for me um how about twist or realization was really satisfying they nailed it but not in the finale right um i went with an episode that i said could have been a finale 20 years ago which was barry time traveling and out of time to stop the giant tidal wave um I'm well established that time traveling is a big part of the Flash's uh, modus operandi in the comics. Um, But the way that the show introduces time travel in that episode and to have Barry deal with that was just really great. And it put everything... It's an episode where Joe's life was in danger. Sisko had just been killed by Harrison iris confessed feelings for him after he revealed himself to be the flash it was all this stuff that could have been a season finale but was episode 15 and so it was just like this i kind of cheated because this would have been a finale 20 years ago but it was just all this really great stuff in lots of twists that were then immediately undone next week (laughs) (laughs) but that was okay because i didn't have to wait three months for those twists to be undone which was nice. Um, so yeah, no, Barry time traveling was a terrific twist and out of time on The Flash. What was your choice for this? Mine is one that you've already mentioned that I loved mm-hmm. and thought they absolutely nailed, uh, even though it wasn't satisfying for you, which is Mr. Robot, the reveal with Darlene being his sister. I thought that <sighs> yeah, they <sorry. laughs> nailed it. I thought they just so much because you're watching it the whole season. You're like trying to figure out why, what's, going on there it feels like it's, it feels like we just don't know something that we're supposed to know but because we're so in his perspective for me that worked it didn't feel like they were holding that information back because i couldn't as i thought back on the show i couldn't think of a moment when it should have come up that she was his sister and they purposely didn't have it come up um it's not like 
there was a time where we were like he's talking about um his father or his family and they have her act like anything other than his sister you know because i don't know about you i don't go walk around going hey sister um to my sister so um i thought that they really nailed that like you said (laughs) clearly it did not work for you your mileage may vary but for me it really did work um also uh karen shooting wesley on uh daredevil just like nope she's just gonna shoot him uh that's that's the thing that's happening now this is the thing that about this character you didn't know and now you do and this is taking our season into a whole new direction yeah so i really like that as well and on on the uh the americans page confronting her parents and figuring out or finding out being told that they are spies like halfway through the seasons you know three quarters of the way through the season and not maybe in the finale like we might have anticipated um oh and then the last one we were pines we're in the future. It's you got you've been frozen, cryogenically frozen, and woken up in the future. So you're not like in some other like closed off, isolated town. The world is over. Like the, just like episode five again. I think it was episode five. They just called the truth. We're in a culty future that a megalomaniac millionaire, billionaire, quadrillionaire made for himself. Congratulations, no going home. <laughs> and now there's going to be a season two somehow. Yeah, I I never saw the end of the season. I watched oh. like, the first. Like you need to 10? watch the end of the season so you can find out why it doesn't make any sense that there's a season Did two. Did they kill everybody? That's what I anticipate yes. from what people have said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but that but they're not letting but those summer shows on the network. Yeah. Uh, you know the channels. They are not worried about. I mean, come on, yeah. Zoo. Have you seen Zoo? Did you watch any Under the Dome? Season one, yes, and like two episodes of season two. See, I don't watch Under the Dome. I just listen to the Extra Hot Great podcast where they do <laughs> Domer. Uh, you have now been you you've been made Domer, which is their Under the Dome uh, uh, coverage. And so they watch it, so I don't have to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm not too concerned about that for Wayward Pines. How about uh, how about most traumatizing moment? It's the stag Manhart clomping towards Will. Ah oh, shit! It's. I forgot about that. How can you I forget sp- about that? I, I had suppressed it. I had. I still have nightmares about that heart picking itself apart, and then clomping towards Will, turning into a stag. And I was just like, it's seared into my brain, Kate. It's seared in there, and I can't <laughs> forget about it. And yes, I'm still traumatized about that. <laughs> I had managed to suppress that uh, because you're my welcome. Pick is out. <laughs> Thank you so much for reminding me. But because my pick is Outlander, and how they handled Captain Jack's agonizingly brutal rape of Jamie, and the way that they treated that in that episode and in the episode after as well, uh, to to really examine not just physical but psychological uh, and and emotional uh, trauma. Yeah, and and the way that they start that episode by physically he's alive. He's been rescued. He's safe. That it's over. Air quotes. But that's not. That's not how it works. Of course, it's not over. Of course, of course, he cannot be with the people that he or he's physically around because he can't escape his trauma that that easily. Um, absolutely traumatizing. I hope to never watch it again. But really masterfully handled. Not tip of the hat to Outlander. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to be able to do their second season in any kind of honest way without having shades of that affect it. Yeah. But, um, but I really applaud, applaud, applaud. And it's, I feel a term gets 
that gets overused is bravery when it comes to these kinds of storylines. But I really do feel it's appropriate here um, for the show, for the actors, um, for the writing and direction and editing and everything. The way that they put it all together. Damn, Outlander. But yeah, yeah. Now I have the heart stag back in my high, my head. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Um, That's what I'm here how for. About, <laughs> how about Schadenfreude Award? Um, I took an immense amount of pleasure in watching Oliver Queen be burned alive by Vandal Savage's weird energy blast in Legends of Yesterday, just because mm-hmm. he's he'd been such a jerk in season three, and he still got the girl. And then I was just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And it didn't make any sense. So, yes, <laughs> of course, I'm happy that he got burned alive. I'm I'm sad that everyone else did, too. But I was happy that we got to see him specifically get really burned alive. What 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 what, what suffering did you take the most pleasure from? Oh, the leisure class being terrible because Project Greenlight season four gave us history's worst monster in and the director, Jason Mann, uh, who, if Kilgrave hadn't so obviously been the correct choice for best villain, that right under there was going to be Jason Mann. But no, it's, it's like how terrible and forgettable and just like, oh, we had to have film for the leisure class. Mm-hmm. We had to make that our last hill we would die on, Jason Mann. At least based on the editing um, of that season of, of Project Greenlight. Yeah, no, that that was just the delightful cherry on top of, uh, you know, of that season of reality TV. Also, Ehrlich having to go back to all the places that he had literally gotten his, his junk out in front of people and just treated them like crap and asked for, you know, a handout again was really satisfying watching him get smacked down a little bit. But, I mean, nothing for me compares to the the joy of the failure of the leisure class <laughs> that's really next good. up is <laughs> next up is most striking visual which again could easily be the hannibal award um did you go with hannibal or did you go with something else i went with something else just for like a variety even though this was actually already on my list but again i'm still in awe of the fact that gorilla grod works on tv mm-hmm. so i just i I mean, yes, Hannibal is beautiful and gorgeous, but we also all already knew that. And there's still plenty of really great stuff in the visuals. I just wanted to do something slightly different here. So The visual that sticks in my memory uh, the most from Hannibal, like the single image, is Hannibal's face and Alana's face in the mask uh, with that black background. Uh, it's just so captures the show and the character of Hannibal completely unmasked but with a you know yeah. masked in this moment uh absolutely gorgeous and striking image um and then for a non-handable choice the bloody ball on penny dreadful this season uh in in one of you know uh vanessa's visions the, another option for some of dream se- dream sequences would be all of her different visions that we got but that that was a very uh striking visual when hannibal's ball in italy is not the most memorable ball of the year. You know it has been a good year for costume dramas. So, yeah. tip, well done, Penny Dreadful. Um, now, these next two categories, as I understand, are a little difficult for you. Yeah, I didn't have anything for this. Um, this is one of those problems where me not watching anything on premium cable because I kind of refuse to pay for premium cable for three months to watch one <laughs> show or two shows. I just refuse to do that. I'd rather spend my money on comic books or video games. Um, so I don't have anything for most best, worst, extraneous sex or nudity because basic cable and broadcast television 
has to be really picky when they do both of these things. So it never really feels extraneous to me in a lot of ways. Like, I thought maybe Blood and Oil just has lots of, like, people having sex. But it makes <laughs> sense for a show like that because it's a big soap to have people having sex. Plus, what else are they going to do in Montana? Uh, <laughs> so, no, I don't have anything for this. So I'm really excited to see what you have for extraneous sex and nudity, especially how nudity feeds into your great peen watch. Ah, yes. Well, first of all, for extraneous sex, um, I would give a tip of the hat to the fantastic Margot Lana sex scene that we already have mentioned. It's not, it's strictly not speaking, ex- except that it's not built to at all. It comes out of nowhere. It's not like this is a development of a relationship we're seeing culminate in this. They just were like, they're together now. Uh, sex scene. They could have done it. They're together now no sex scene they did there together now sex scene so it's not like it was ah after seasons of build-up you know so for me it fits into that category but i obviously i wouldn't cut it i think it's fantastic yeah um but i strictly speaking it doesn't move the plot along it doesn't move the characters along in a way that we haven't already you know not been built up to um also the the sensate orgy is hilarious and amazing and just beautifully called back to later in the season with sense eight uh when when a show says, hmm, Hannibal Five-Way. Hmm. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, and they do it with such a sense of humor. And really sexily, I would say, I don't know. I don't I don't know from orgies. But uh, it, it, as really, well as Kate, they do. Really? Uh, the only, all of my favorite TV orgies are all the comedic ones. <laughs> like, uh, like Review. Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh the the one with Tom Lennon oh uh, party down yeah hilarious orgy yes. sequence but um but no so so I would give a tip of the hat to to Sense Eight which had a lot of fun with it and really <laughs> went all out and it was delightful um for extraneous nudity um Sense Eight uh cucumber I think it was cucumber it may have been banana but I think it was cucumber had just one of the funniest bits of of nudity of the year uh peen on the screen and it just, it's like this ridiculous moment uh and it's just a bunch of uh older gentlemen just acting like immature children uh and it's hilarious and great and if you've seen it you know what i'm talking about if you haven't uh, me describing it won't be uh helpful um and the other one I'll, i'll i'll mention is outlander but not for peen on the screen because i don't need to go back to that horrible place mind space instead for when we have our our newly having given birth mother riding off to save her brother uh and she has to stop because she's full to bursting and she doesn't stop to pee she stops to to pump and dump basically mm-hmm. old school pump and dump and i was like that is a thing on my television that's pretty Yay! cool that's so awesome that that's the thing this show did it's like yes a boob is not just for men to enjoy the look of and, and other things. It is also a method of giving life to infants. So let's acknowledge that uh, as well. A reality of being a <laughs> just having given birth and going off to, to save the day. There are other hardships and realities of that too. So uh, very glad to have that little bit. There was, there was plenty of peen on the screen this year. It was a fantastic thing to be actually paying attention to this year. Um, uh, thank you, HBO and Showtime specifically for your contributions to that but uh i want to give some some love to uh the to, to outlander in a different kind of way for extraneous nudity how about shipping moments all right i had a couple that were just like hardcore i went with one show that 
hasn't been on anything else. And I just went with any and everything that involves Franny and Jack and Mrs. Fisher's murder mysteries. Okay. Do you not do you not watch Mrs. Fisher? Have not seen it. Oh god, it's so great. It's it's murder she wrote in the 1920s in Australia. And <laughs> there's a lady detective who has all this unresolved sexual tension with the local police detective. And it's fantastic. And this season, like, really played up their getting into a relationship with one another. And there's a lot of double entendres, and there's a lot of flustered moments on his part, because she's a sexually liberated woman who is will flirt with anything and sleep with anything that moves, provided she's interested. And But she loves him type of thing. And, I mean, just the chemistry between the two of them, but also just... Every every line of dialogue between the two of them becomes a little moment of ship. And I just, I love watching the two of them interact with one another. So that was my best shipping moments. What were, what were yours? I had, I had three that came to mind. Uh, first of all, Peggy and Stan in the Mad Men finale, just like, yes, it's very rom-commy. Yes, it's very When Harry Met Sally or whatever, but I don't care because I had a stupid silly grin on my face the whole time and it was amazing. It were, so they're on the phone and she's realizing that she loves her best friend and it's one of those things that just like, it just makes you so happy and watching both of their reactions and then, you know, the, the, the rom-com movie moment of running up and everything I don't care if it's corny. It was amazing. Um, also, I have uh, from Playing House, Emma and Mark. They brought in the second to last episode. They brought they brought the feels so hard. It was it was again. It was just really, really great. Really satisfying. And for the third one, I'm just gonna basically say a lot of looking because they got me to invest in the 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 Patrick and Kevin relationship when I really really shouldn't have i wish it had been so anti-kevin but those two have such great chemistry and the they really they got you to invest so well by by building those different moments between the two of them over the course of the season so the the first two for me definitely peggy and stan and em and mark but i also wanted to throw a little love over to how they've handled that that relationship and that pairing on uh on on looking how about chemistry this romantic platonic whatever what came to mind um this was actually really easy because i made like a bit of performance art about this on twitter um but it's jeffrey dean morgan with anything on the good wife a chair with, with the like, air i mean a door a vacuum yeah like a, a, a void of space yeah. as opposed to a cleaning instrument yeah. yeah no i mean he's just oozing sexuality and sexual charisma on the good wife that i goaded on by a number of people on twitter i actually filed an fcc complaint <laughs> that was amazing about was so good about how sexy he was and about how indecent it was that he was so sexy and the fcc got back to me basically saying contact your local broadcaster and please refer to the fcc faq list when making another report <laughs> basically guys the fcc is totally fine with the fact that jeffrey dean morgan's sexiness is indecent on cbs <laughs> so yeah oh, no, that that was my choice for most chemistries jeffrey dean morgan with everything yeah and although uh, also you know we should give a little respect to the alicia side of that yes. because the other strong contender for that is finn and alicia which from the first half of the year yeah no like, you thought, like, can they top it? And then they brought in Jeffrey Dean Morgan. They're like, uh, challenge accepted. Yeah. Yes. Uh, 
also, I, I wanted to give a little bit of love to uh, Daniel and Tawny on Rectify because they kept them apart pretty much all season. And I was like, you know, I'm really liking everything they're giving, uh, you know, these other characters to do. Dan's got some other stuff to do. I'm full. I'm like back on board with Teddy and Tawny. I never thought that would happen. And then in the finale, they give them that one scene. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Melt. Like they're <laughs> so they're so amazing together. Um, and the last pick I have for this and the positive we will, I'm sure, enjoy and agree on our, my negative pick but is is barry and joe on flash yeah we've already said several times but like every time they have a scene together it's magic it's so good and really anytime jesse l martin has a scene with someone because the guy's a pro and he's just like he's great yeah yeah he's fantastic now of course my worst chemistry uh i it's i have a really hard time thinking of anyone where the two the characters are supposed to have chemistry it's important that we believe that they have chemistry and they just negative uh, on all of TV this year. Listeners, let me know if I'm wrong. Eli and Vanessa Williams. Like, just terrible. Just like, get, just get away from Eli and Vanessa Williams. Go away. I'm sorry. I, you're making me not like you, Vanessa Williams. Or the good wife is making me not like you. And that's that's not your fault. No. It's just because there's, there's no chemistry here. It doesn't make this like big character-changing moment for Eli, this relationship, when there's... Like, bring back America Ferrer if you have to. The only person, the only character I've ever bought any sort of romantic chemistry with on that show for, for Eli. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just gaping hole of void of chemistry. I chalk that a lot up to just a lot of the writing, because I think that there's enough interplay between Alan Cumming and Vanessa Williams that it doesn't... It still doesn't work, but... Given the writing, they could have had it, I think. But for me, the least amount of chemistry, and they're supposed to have chemistry, is Jamie Alexander and Sullivan Stapleton in The Blind Spot. Because they're abhorrent towards one another, and apparently Jamie Alexander hates him in real life. So there's... That doesn't help. There's nothing between them. And they, like, had a big kiss. They're supposed to be long-forgotten friends. She got kidnapped, and now she's back, and all this bullshit and there's nothing between them there's nothing 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 and it's just like show what are you trying to force on me it's not working undo it yeah undo it how about oxygen award for moment that for comedy so moment so funny you couldn't breathe oh i didn't do a moment i just did an entire show because it didn't i should have done moment because it i've i approached this way too broadly for this thing okay i'm sorry i just went with the entirety of unbreakable Kimmy schmidt um, that's that's what i did too and then i picked one moment to be indicative yeah. but that's that's what i did yeah too. no like i mean it's pretty much daddy's boy to me made me lose oxygen because it was just like, oh, okay, they're going to make a joke about him being a daddy's boy. Okay, that's fine. Oh, it was a musical? And then we got the musical. And then we got Robert Osborne being really upset that they were going to show it again on Turner Classic Movies. And I pretty much fell off the couch. And then they did another song from the musical during the closing credits. And I lost, I just passed out at that point. <laughs> I went with the karate. With John Hamm. Uh, which I just, it's just so, it's just so good. It's just so good. And then the other pick I have is from Silicon Valley, the SWAT board sequence. Oh, uh, yes. I, I've seen a clip of that. I, it's really good, but I don't have any context for it. So, but it was funny. It's just, it's really funny. Camille Angiani and, and Martin Starr just nail it just like the deadpan of it just like the the engineer approach to uh well if we kill if we 
we get him to kill himself, then here's the pros and cons. Just a, a really, and it builds really nicely too. So those are, those are my picture. That how about Oxygen Award for a moment so dramatic you couldn't breathe? It was Will breaking or, or show. Yeah. No, this this I actually came up with a moment, but it was Will breaking up with Hannibal at the end of Digestivo, and Mads just like kind of crying a little bit, and I I kind of just stopped breathing watching the two of them try to end this relationship between the two of them and i just went i i literally like had to remind myself to breathe because mm -hmm. i was just really invested in that particular moment and it's basically a credit to them as actors that i just kind of forgot yeah and i have the same thing and for me it's it's i've already talked about it a bunch but it's the americans yeah uh the the wig removal scene with martha and with clark uh yeah, again, it's just that the, the, those actors are so in that moment together. Yeah. And they really capture that and convey that to the audience, too. So you're just completely in there. And if you breathe, it'll disturb the moment. So yeah. you can't breathe. And then you turn around and you're like, I should probably breathe because I need that to live. Um, how about most ridiculous moments? This was still goes back to my what the fuck moment, which is CC Drake being a because it didn't make any sense. It's like both this was great and then this was terrible. Plus, there's also this sequence where the liars break into her headquarters, but it's like a Star Trek console of like high tech stuff with a big video screen that's a hologram and just all this stuff, and you're just like. Where the hell did this come from? This doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, no, totally, totally, totally ridiculous on Pretty Little Liars. But that entire show is ridiculous. But this was peak ridiculousness. What did you have for your ridiculous moment? I have a couple. I have uh, Hail Trakanon, which is a recurring bit in the finale of Mansi Moon that I really enjoyed. I have Frank all, like, covered in black paint with the recorder on uh, Charlie work in Always Sunny and our our Church of Perpetual uh, exemption. Yeah. On and also connecting to that, what people sent in to last last week tonight and every time that came back on the show, because uh, it's just insane, and I love it. Um, so how about best interactivity? For me, this is the Fanable Award. Yeah, no, it's it's the Hannibal Twitter feed and just how the show interacted with its fans and, like, Brian Fuller retweeting stuff, Brian Fuller live-tweeting episodes. I mean, just, it's insane. They were really great at interacting with their fans this year. And, I mean, that Hannibal... I don't really follow a lot of, like, show Twitter feeds or showrunner feeds because I'm not, like, super interested, but I follow both of them. I unfollowed them once the show was canceled, but I followed both of them and loved everything. I mean, just their Comic-Con stuff with the little Funko figures exploring Comic-Con, terrific. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. definitely. Let's move swiftly on to the la 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 award for show we don't want to have spoiled. What, what's yours? What your What's yours? I have two. Okay. Uh, one because uh, this this is good news for the listeners to to be aware of. Uh, at, starting the new year, we will be moving to a new uh, a new day. We are we're having a programming change. The podcast will no longer be recorded on Mondays. Uh, it will be recorded later in the week and will be re released uh, probably on Saturdays. Um, so this will no longer be an issue for me, but. Recording on Mondays means I can't watch Jane the Virgin live. 
uh, which means I need to just stay away from Twitter and I need to not be talking to anyone because I don't want to have anything spoiled, any moments, anything like that. Um, and the other one I have is Gravity Falls because you never know when they're going to freaking air an episode. So it's, it's six months. Very... I mean, it takes yeah. six months to make an episode and then they air it immediately after they get it. And we only have one left. So, yeah. Yeah. It won't be too much of a concern for me moving forward. But this yeah. year, that was a significant concern. How about for you? Uh, both last year, but also going forward, is it's the 100. Because it's... I don't really worry about spoilers that much. Like, someone spoiled The Force Awakens for me. Like, the day I was going to go see it. And I just went, nah, okay. It's fine. Whatever. And I love Star Wars. I don't want to know anything that's going to happen on the 100 whatsoever. Don't tell me. I just... I want to find out. Um, so yeah, no, that's my la 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 award. Um, what are you pretending never happened? Your la 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 award that pretend. Well, this is this is clearly the Hannibal finale la 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 award. That's like it's come on, every time you brought it up, I've been like, uh, dude, there's a category for that, and it's called the la 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 award for thing we're pretending never happened. So the end of the Hannibal finale. It's great that you say that because that wasn't my choice because it was just like the show's over. And I'm just, like, kind of, like, at peace with it, I think, at this point. But okay. by God, Kate, Oliver running into his baby mama and his son on Arrow <laughs> is something I'm going to have to live with for seasons. Oh, Unless she's in that goddamn grave. I am pretending this did not happen. Because it's horrible and it sucks and it feeds into an award that we'll give in a little while. But it's just like, I am pretending that that doesn't happen at all. Because it's dumb. Fair enough. <laughs> that is a fantastic, fantastic choice. Um, another thing I'm going to pretend never happened was me saying that this was our last segment. Because I want to take another break. We're going to take another break, guys. We'll come back with our very last segment for reals this time after this. So you heard from some folks that I ain't been true. I guess you still get gossip in the clink It happened on one night as full of soco and lime When a pretty boy bought me a drink And he said, darling, you're too pretty to be sad and I said, Mister, I needed to hear that real bad. The world can be one together, cosmos without hatred. Stars like diamonds in your eyes. The ground can be space, 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 space. With feet marching towards a peaceful sky. All the moon men want things their way But we make sure they see the sun Goodbye, moon men You say goodbye, moon men Goodbye, moon man. Oh, 
this is Simon. Uh, I have two categories to mention, and that is all. First is the Her Award for Overrated Show. And there were a few candidates, but the clear front runner for me was Fargo Season 2, which for me got by barely on the grace of a few decent sequences, a few good scenes here and there. Um, I was not at all a fan of the way it regurgitated themes and motifs from existing Coen Brothers films that those films did so well. And this show just dragged and beat to death in an alley repeatedly over and over uh, a show made almost completely from bells and whistles with basically zero substance of its own. Uh, just a, just a set of signifiers, very disappointing, uh, especially considering how, excited I was for it based on the cast and totally overblown uh, in terms of the praise it was getting from other people. And the only other thing I wanted to mention was uh, someone who did not get enough love this year uh, was Matt Loria on Kingdom. He, I don't want to say too much about the, his performance and what he, the, the material he got this, this season, but you know, on a show that almost no one watches, anyone who does watch it is freaking out about Jonathan Tucker. So they're not necessarily noticing that, especially this season, Matt Loria had at least as much to do and to me this was his season and the the almost Kurt Sutter levels of anguish going on with that character should have been overblown but he had some specific moments of performance here and there that were just so incredible and and so unique that it's really too bad that almost no one got to see it especially people who really should who would have enjoyed it other things anyway that's it for me happy new year everyone Talking about it, we won't just stand here in silence. Can't stop the fire from rising, rising. Whoa, people, don't you be afraid. So many innocents slain. This is an era for change, change. Malcolm's probably turning in his grave. Now with our final, final for real time <laughs> section of awards. I promise, I promise. And those are the miscellaneous awards. What was your best surprise? Crazy ex girlfriend. I didn't expect that show to like be great, and it still it took a little while to figure out the kinks a little bit. But I mean, it just kind of blindsided me a little bit, and just I and I adore that show, and it was by far and away the biggest surprise for me. Uh, my biggest surprise, younger, because that should have been terrible. 
but the power of Sutton Foster is such that she transcends terrible premises to to make uh, for an actually really really strong show and one that I had a okay, lot of so fun. Okay, so that watching got this better year. because I did four episodes and went nope. I watched because I was I reviewed mm-hmm. it for the AV Club, so uh, they I got the, the entire set. Half. I have the entire thing, so yeah. But... I had I had mm-hmm. the first half, and I was just you know I was I just watched a bunch of them. I was you know settled into like a groove with it and was like okay i just kept going oh, sure, sure i'll watch the next one i mean i don't know it's not great i'll watch the next one and then as it built by the time i got to the first end of the first half i was like okay i'm gonna do the other half of these because i'm actually really invested now and i watched the whole thing the whole show okay. in one sitting uh so yeah no i thought it was really strong especially but it just builds over the course of the the season and just gets better it's very much of a piece so it's not like it becomes yeah. a different show but um but that the exploration of the character and of what she's experiencing and what she's going through becomes more nuanced and she becomes more aware of the people around her um as she gets more into this thing that she's doing which for people who don't know which is very possible this is a tiny show um it's Sutton Foster who is 40 pretending she's 26 uh and you're like uh what and then you see Sutton Foster yeah. you're like okay fair enough <laughs> um so the show and the show is very self-aware and it, it makes this stuff work so for me that that's a show i was very excited to have right. a sudden foster so show I. because yeah. I, I, she's wonderful and then i saw heard the premise i was like oh god damn it um and then the show was actually really good so i was very pleasantly surprised it actually feeds into one of my worst disappointments of the year which is you don't have sudden foster and not let her <laughs> sing <laughs> and not let her dance younger WTF me? Did you have any? Yeah, I've been really disappointed by Supergirl a lot. Like I, it should have been really good, and it's been really frustrating. Uh, I mean, Whitney's been on uh, the show before, and I think you guys have talked about it a little bit. Or Whitney's been reviewing it for Pop Optic, and she everything that she's written, I co-sign about Supergirl. I've just been really disappointed with a lot of it, and. I'm just surprised it's not better. And I don't, not sure how it's going to get better. So, yeah. On that theme. Yeah. 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 And like, I didn't even dislike it that much, but I just, it should have been really great. I've heard actually the last few episodes, apparently there's yet another showrunner change or whatever, have gotten better, Mm. but I haven't, I haven't seen them. But yeah, it it should have been great. And it's not... Luke, me feeling lukewarm on that is a yeah. pretty dis, pretty pretty big disappointment. Um, for me, the, there's no question about the best discovery of the year because for me it was Steven Universe. Okay, I didn't watch it last year, so that right. was my best discovery of the um, year. How about you? It's the same thing as uh, like Crazy Ex Girlfriend and just like the show just coming surprising me and being like, oh right, this this was really good. I didn't discover it. I like just watched the first episode, but I was just like, oh, this is really great. All right, great, I'm in. Type of thing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. How about Spotlight of Shame? God, I can't tell you how happy I am that Stalker got a full season order last year. (laughs) So I could still beat up on Stalker a little bit. I mean, this is a show that's competently made, but it's absolutely horrid and disgusting. And I mean, Criminal Minds is still on the air, so I mean, it should also be in a Spotlight of Shame. But I don't watch Criminal Minds, and Criminal Minds is in its 11th season. But I did watch all of Stalker. And it's not good. <laughs> so. I'm trying to understand why. Did you get paid? No, but I just. 
it was a little bit of sadomasochism so I could complain about the show at, at the end of the year so I could say, I have a worse show. So you yeah, could be so a I could say, I have a worse show of the year. And no one could say, well, did you finish it? And I'm just like, yep, I did. Yep. I stuck it through. Well, the my spotlight of shame, there were several options this year, but my spotlight of shame goes to Game of Thrones for Sansa's rape and their handling of that storyline. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to get angry about it again, so I'm just going to leave it there. I think pretty much everyone listening will know where I'm at with that. How about, what was your ba- breakthrough Rachel Bloom on um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, I hadn't seen any of her... Um, youtube stuff so um she just again like like her show just kind of came out of left field for me and i mean if once crazy ex-girlfriend goes away and the ratings and everything kind of make me think it won't possibly make it to a second season someone needs to snap snatch her up and just give her another vehicle because she's fantastic Absolutely agree. I also have Good Rami choice. Malek yeah. uh, from Mr. Robot. Fantastic. And really, again, that was another discovery for me, but a breakthrough performance yeah. really makes that uh, that Mr. Robot his own. How about a breakthrough uh, Totally series? Limitless, because I wasn't expecting to like Limitless at all, and then I went, oh, wow. And especially after the pilot, which I liked, but then by the third episode with the Mexican cartel, and we get him imagining an exploitation film sequence in which she takes down the cartel i'm just went oh oh yes i'm in for this all the way show so yeah it was totally limitless that broke through this year especially considering that this fall was terrible so um for me, I went back earlier in the year, and I went Good with Empire. Choice. It's an easy pick. It's an obvious pick, but it's true nonetheless. I remember watching the pilot and being like, this is solid. I don't know that it's that interesting. Um, I can't tell. I can I can tell that I can't tell from the pilot, and I don't know if I'll have time to watch more. Um, so I was really excited when it broke through, and then when I watched it, I just had a blast with the first season. I would gotten away from it. Hashtag PTV. But, uh, yeah, that was a really exciting thing for television this year and for my viewing of television. How about, uh, for me, this this next category comes down to two choices. What is the best overall network for All TV right. this year? Um, because you said network, I only thought broadcast. Because that's what a network uh-huh. is, is broadcast. Everything else is a cable channel. So, I went, it's the CW. Is the best overall network, which is just... It's the it's correct, the correct choice. choice. I mean, I watch a ton of CW shows, and for the most part, I like all of them to varying degrees. And it's just, it's always, it's become the show whose program development slate I'm most interested in seeing compared to everyone else. Mainly because the CW has done what cable channels used to be, which is basically the CW has become a very niche-oriented network, which is why it's able to develop its programming really well. Whereas the other broadcast networks are like, oh my god, everything's falling apart, we don't have anything. Except they do have stuff, uh, except for Fox, which is a garbage fire. But it's the CW, yeah. And I also have Comedy Central in there because I was all including yeah. cable channels. So, if and again, if when somebody gets a show on Comedy Central, I'm yeah. immediately interested. Uh, I would say FX, but they've got stuff like Tyrant 
which I still hated from last season, so I haven't given the second season a shot. And some other shows that I'm, yeah. I'm less hot on. So for me, it all comes down to, for the networks, CW, and for the cable channels, Comedy Central. Um, how about the It Should Have Worked Circle award? back to my worst disappointment. It's still Supergirl. Supergirl should have worked. And, I mean, they got a really nice cast. I mean, Mel- Melissa Benoist? Benoist, Benoist is fantastic and great and just, like, she's she's terrific. This show should have worked, and I, I'm struggling to still figure out how it's not working after nine episodes. It's working more f- for me than it is for, for you, but uh, I think that's a solid pick. For me, it's uh, Penny Dreadful, Giant puppet vanessa they should have been able to make that i have no idea what you're talking about because i didn't see they really didn't interesting yeah or like like they have like the 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 baddie of the season is a witch who does like you know makes puppets of of people and then she can control them kind of a thing so but it just ends up just really feeling like howdy doody (laughs) and not like you know really creepy and terrifying and all like they cut hearts out of babies to put into like there's really it's really creepy build-up and then the the payoff i feel like they should have been able to make that work but for me at least they didn't how about it shouldn't have worked because mine you've already mentioned twice gorilla grod should not have worked but they nailed it that was my choice as as also crazy ex-girlfriend it was gorilla grod and crazy ex-girlfriend both of these probably shouldn't have worked on tv um but they look great and they are great. Yeah. Our next uh, awards, we have a trio of it's not me, it's it's you. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm wrong and the internet is right. But on these three, this tr- a trope, a series, and then whatever we want. So we'll start with the trope. We're pretty sure that it's not us. It's that. So what trope is on your Dunzo list Kate, after this year? I have a secret, but I'm not going to tell you for like <laughs> five episodes. Yes. And I'm going to lie to you about it for a little while, or by omission. And then you're going to find out, and then you're going to be mad at me, and then you're going to be okay with it. Is it going to make the show worse? <laughs> yes! <laughs> is, is it? Is it definitely going to make the show worse every time you Yes, just, and it's going to make the... Yes, and it? it's going to make the character that doesn't know the secret look really fucking stupid and horrible the entire time. And basically, this is the Iris West Award of the first half of The Flash. Because that character just collapsed because she didn't know what was going on. Everyone treated her terribly. And I just wanted to pull my hair out. And now it's repeating itself with the whole, I have a baby on the arrow. And I'm just like... (laughs) So no, I'm done with I Have a Secret. And I'm not going to tell you for episodes, or at least until sweeps. (laughs) What is your trope that you are so done with? Fridging. Yeah. <laughs> this is the player award for fringe fridging. They fridged poor Beth Do- Dover. We love Beth Dover. And they fridged her. And uh, and then and, and doing so, they fridged my interest in the show. Uh, for those who don't know, that means when they set up a, a female character in general, but really it could be any character, uh, and, and put them in danger or kill them as a way to motivate the typically male uh, protagonist into action because heaven forbid it be a choice they make. They must uh, kill or or endanger another character uh, and have no consequences, of course, psychological or long-term to the actual person being victimized. They don't exist really. They're just a functionary for the larger plot. Um, I was 
over that right. to begin with. And then about three Shield different shows used that in. And... Yeah, a lot of people did it this year. Um, so that's the trope that I'm super over. How about the show that you're just like, you know what show? This year, it's you. It's Fargo. It's just, it's you, Fargo. I, 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 I can't deal with you. And I'm not going to. There's the door. <laughs> See, for me, it's not, that's not even close. For me, it's uh, The Good Wife mm-hmm. and Game of Thrones. Just, just no. I don't, I can't promise that I won't watch more of them just because I've watched yeah. them for so long. But any interest I have in them is seriously sure. diminished. And it's sort of just like a let's observe Engage. rather than yeah. let's enjoy yeah, exactly. How about other? I've got a few. I've got um, a couple. This one these. was more so about like a weird trend that came out this year. Um, but I I need people to stop doing slasher film inspired television series because they don't work. Scream. I watched all of it. There's like problems with the acting and the writing on that show, but as a slasher, it doesn't work because people need to die in a slasher narrative, and not a lot of people die. <laughs> And I haven't finished Scream Queens because it's just like, again, I need more people to die that aren't random frat bros. And I need I need that compelling story about final girls or even final guys or whatever. I need it to mean something. And both of these didn't do a reason for me to be invested in their survival either. Which is the biggest problem with these is that... I don't care about anyone that's in these shows and it's really hard to do that with a slasher narrative. So don't do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I've got, I've got three here. Um, And these are all things that happened on TV shows. Normally I like to go for a trend, but these are all things that happened on on shows and the way they were handled uh, and me believing them. Uh, There's a, there's a through line. Uh, Glenn on the walking dead and how they handled that. That's pretty obvious. Um, Barry's dad leaving on the Flash, kids, because it would screw up the show if he stayed. Uh, and they, it's like if you're gonna free the character from jail, you got to do the legwork, or or end up on my Denzel list. So that storyline is like um, in in a season that really showed how how well the writers and the the creatives over there understand and and value the father son relationship and what that means to the show. Just completely undermined that. So. Um, yeah, they screwed that up. And the last one is the Arrow gravestone. It's like, fuck you, Arrow. No, that one's not on me. That one's on you. I like I like those choices a lot. Now, did you have any picks for Anchor Award for a show, like a, a single character or performance or element that is dragging down a show that yeah, otherwise um, you really like? And I've actually like given up on this show um, in part because of this element. But it's Madam Secretary and its political plots are just boring as hell. But I love the cast. I love the McCord's marriage. Whenever Tim Daly and Tia Leone have a conversation with one another, it's the best thing I've watched that night, aside from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And, but I just can't get past how bad the show is at making compelling political stuff out of a woman who's the chief diplomat for the country. And... I just kind of stopped the show because it's kind of inessential, but also because of the NFL overruns and everything. I just went, oh, well, I don't enjoy half the show. Done. So, yeah, but that was just like weighing it down. And that was kind of like the deciding factor in me dropping a series that I think is actually pretty good. 
what was your what's your anchor that weighs down a show for you? This is one of the easiest uh-huh. categories for me because it's Robin on Jessica. Fantastic. Every time she's on this, in a scene, I like it less than I should like anything else. And I just would just ex- excite. Like, they're trying to do interesting yeah. things there, but they do not balance the tone right. They, somewhere between the writing and the performance and the, the direction and the editing and how it all comes together doesn't work. Torpedoes significant chunks of the show for me. Um, and I don't necessarily put that all on the actor. It's just that character of Robin. Nope. Pulling the show down for me. How about the Life Vest Award? What's what's an, a show or or an element that's really elevating uh, maybe what it would be an otherwise rather mid, middling show? I swear. Show? And I, this is another show that I'm not going back to when it comes back from its hiatus. But Viola Davis keeps How to Get Away with Murder afloat by sheer force of will. Because that show's a mess and it's not interesting and it's not particularly good. But by God, she's amazing at everything on that show. And I don't, I can't, she's the only thing that would have, she was the only thing keeping me afloat on that show. And even, and then finally I just went, oh, there's a boat. Hey, boat! <laughs> and I got on the boat and I don't need the life vest anymore. I'm sorry, Viola, but I don't, I don't need you anymore because I'm, I'm done with how to get away with murder. For me, it's Game of Thrones and it's Tyrion and Varys. And the prospect of them being awesome together next season is pretty much the, and, and my previous season's investment, let's be honest, is pretty much the only thing making sure that I will likely watch Game of Thrones this year. Because um, I'm so frustrated with so many other elements of that show and with the production and with their handling of characters. Uh, I, it would be very easy for me to just wash my hands of it and be done with Game of Thrones. Uh, but Peter Dinklage is doing really tremendous work over there and some of the other actors as well, but that's the character that I keep coming back to. Danny's got problems. I, I used to really love Danny, but they don't seem to know how to use that character and many other corners of the show. Again, they're just so oppressively grim. It's like the only thing that they understand how to do. Um, but with Tyrion, that is almost never the case. Um, so Tyrion and then also Varys is, is my uh, life fest award this year on game of thrones how about what's the show to to our last very last category after this epic insanely long podcast what is the show you most want to see make the leap next year either in terms of people finally watching it or jumping quality what's the show that you most hope will and then hopefully you think maybe is able to it's 12 monkeys um this was a show that i could never really get into until like the last three or four episodes and i watched it while i was cleaning and which isn't like a fair way to watch the show or any show but i just couldn't sit down and just watch it because i got bored really quickly but at the same time i could see all the really good elements that the show had and people kept telling me they really really liked it and i just went i don't i I don't see it yet but i want the show to make that leap because i love I like time travel narratives, even though they can get really messy, but I, the performers are good. And I just, I'm, I think that the show can make the leap and I'm wondering how much of it was the show, how much of it was me. So when the show comes back, it's very much, I'm looking forward for it making the leap, but I'm hoping that I'm making the leap as well. My pick is, is one that many people will think shouldn't be on here because it already has achieved greatness but for me it's nathan for you Mm -hmm. because certain episodes this season have gone to this whole new gear 
the show's already really great. It's already doing a lot of like really fascinating stuff that nobody else is doing on television. But there have been a couple episodes that have just transcended and been something else entirely. And I, if he can, if, if Fielder can capture that in the, the next season that I assume is happening, <laughs> I haven't checked. I assume it's happening. Um, that could be. You know, like watching that grow and just like these certain ideas bubble up that allow for that in in the 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 smoke the no smoking episode and then in the finale as well, um, that could be even more amazing and even more special if 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 he is able to capture that in a weekly rather than an occasional uh, setting. So instead of just being funny every week, but occasionally being transcendent to to be doing that other stuff through the entire season would be really tremendous. I don't know if it's possible. I would like to think it's possible. What he's already done is very impressive, but, um, but yeah, that's my pick for a show that I would like to see make the leap. And maybe any of these other shows that we love that nobody watches, maybe people will start watching them. That'd be nice, right? People should start watching Jane the Virgin. They should. Well, thank you so much for, for sticking with me through our smorgasbordy this year. Noel, um, it's been a great year in TV and it's been a lot of fun going over it with you. Um, and we're looking forward to a very exciting 2016. Yes. Yes, we are. Where can listeners find you and your work online? Um, I'm on Twitter at Noel RK and you can find my writing at uh, TV.com. Kate, where can our listeners find you now? They can find me at theteleverse.org. They can find me on Twitter at the Televerse. They can find me on Facebook with the Televerse page. Basically, if it has the Televerse in it, it's probably me. Um, you can also email the Televerse at, at gmail.com. And uh, I'm sh- you can also find some of my writing over at the AV Club. There's a lot of stuff going on. So uh, just reach out. I would love to hear people's picks for all these. Uh, I, I know, like, Carl, I know you're listening. Beth. I know you're listening. Mario, I know you're listening. All of our wonderful lis- regular listeners that, that do reach out every now and again, give, give us your picks for some of these categories. We would love to hear them. As well as uh, next week we'll be doing our, our mid-season preview. So if you have shows that you want us to talk about or like you know get our, get our, our, our hot takes on that you're particularly looking forward to, let us know about those too. But uh, looking forward to what will be, I'm sure, very exciting, very fun 2016. So with all of that out of the way, thank you everyone for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 25 years of my life is still trying to get up that great big healer of hope for a destination. I realized quickly when I knew I should that the world would